Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on the 16th of August 2020. And as always, I hope you're doing as best as you can under the circumstances of uh, (laughs) utter chaos and madness. All organized, of course, because what's happening now is the the designing, redesigning of, of society across the planet and redefining what we are uh, as human beings and and societies in general, in fact. Breakdown right of genders, as you well know, has been a big one top for quite a few years, is um, all concepts of what used to be called normalcy or normative is being redesigned again, all of it, in order to, to destroy resistance among society to changes, the plan changes. Before you, it's harder and very, very difficult to, to bring in a whole new way of living without destroying the previous generation. Because naturally they'll dig their heels and say, no, no, you can't do this, and this is ridiculous and mad and all bit. And so bit by bit, over maybe a 20, 25 year period, you chip away through education, through the school system, grab them young, and they grow up to about 25 or so. And they've got all the new ideas instilled in them, all the new indoctrinations, and it works awfully well in them. And then you've already hammered and hammered through repetition, through all kinds of dramas and movies and so on, uh, where they embed all the different uh, new norms into their, their storylines, etc. Until all age groups part the same stuff, because they can't trust their own logic anymore, nor their own memory either. And that's how it's all designed, you see, until you can't trust your own judgment. Just listen to the experts. In fact, last week I mentioned in one of the articles that came out from the top groups of, of thinkers, you know, scientific thinkers, telling us not to not to think for ourselves on these, these very important topics. We're not qualified to think deeply on them. So there you go. Uh, this is the farce of the time we're living through. A complete redesigning of society. And, uh, and every, every possible method of deception and manipulation, psychological manipulation and coercion is in use right now. It's quite astonishing to watch it all. And it's too big for even one person or a group of people uh, to keep up with all of it because it's overwhelming in a sense. But uh, years ago, when they were hammering on and hammering on about artificial intelligence and how it was going to reshape society... And Al Gore came out, because Al Gore is a player in certain areas uh, for financial teams and for fleecing the public for carbon taxes and then trading them and making a profit on them, all these kind of things. Uh, See, we're we're ruled by crooks, if you haven't figured it out. Uh, And especially since the the time of post-democratic society, which the Club of Rome came out with years ago, uh, they said on behalf of their masters, they paid them, the big think tank, the, uh, the Club of Rome, uh, and they were given a task, different tasks actually, about redesigning society. Because they leaked themselves in the big business classes, the ones with the corporate raiders t- types that were going across the world and having their big talks with CEOs that were treated like gods and with their innovative ideas of, you know, having workforces or slashing it to the bone and then reselling off what was left of corporations, the corporate raiders. They literally wanted to take over the whole system. And this, this darn nuisance called democracy was a problem. 
had gone the way of profits, quick profits. So if you could do away with democracy, you could get your big plans made and, and worked out and implemented with no real kickback from the public. You see, you eliminated the public problem. And, um, and that's what you've been living through ever since. Including the whole idea of climate change, it was a club of Rome that came up with that uh, idea of blaming humanity for, for the climate, you see. And that way you could bring in the, uh, sustainability, you could bring in all kinds of new ideas, a new way of living, again austerity for the public, with high prices for everything, mind you. Uh, so the corporations don't, um, they're not losing anything, they get more in fact for, for giving you less. Especially in all energy forms, too, like technocracy planned long ago. So you're living through an agenda, a big, big agenda. And, of course, science and business work together under the guise of public-private partnerships. And, of course, what they do is they put in businessmen, often, sometimes minor businessmen, as politicians. They're assets, if you like. And many of them actually are assets of intelligence agencies. Uh, that's been going on for years. Obama was, was well-connected, so was Clinton, actually. The Rhodes Scholar, Bill Clinton, went over to London to study there with his, his, uh, his scholarship, Oxford Rhodes Scholarship. And then he disappeared there and spent the rest of his time in the Soviet Union. <laughs> and then came back and they made him president of America. Uh, it's quite interesting to watch what happens because you see the real world has got nothing to do with what you've been brainwashed to believe. It really hasn't. I mentioned it before. This strange uh, travel of of important people and, and sciences and so on during the whole Cold War is the last thing you'd allow in the reality for international meetings of this or that, or whatever. You'd never allow it to let your best people go there. And, and collaborate with their supposed enemies and exchange ideas and information, etc. But they did that every year. So nothing made any sense until you really figure out there's a different game on the go. The game's always against the public. And first and foremost, you must understand what power is. And power is a means of gaining uh, control over people, either with or without their consent. It depends how you do it. And uh, to benefit, of course, agendas again, you know, like post-democratic, get the job done and to heck with the public, that type of idea. Or, as I say, it's also used for business in this day and age. Business was elevated, as I say, during the time of the corporate raiders to a much higher level. And they really did. They literally did hostile takeovers of businesses by grabbing the, the shares and so on, getting the controlling shares, and then slashing everything to the bone. And what you don't realize is back in the 1970s and 80s, you had, uh, you had lots of family-owned businesses, and maybe second or third generation. Big businesses, too, uh, with factories, etc., and they, they still had that idea of having responsibility, those who owned the businesses, to, to the people who worked there with them. This strange old-fashioned idea that you're responsible in some way. And, uh, of course, the new system was, was, again, the corporate raiders. They had no conscience about anything like that. And they called everybody dead weight, and you'd slash them and kick them off. And folk coming up to retirement lost their um, everything, their pensions a lot. This was the, these were early warning signs and symptoms 
of what was to come for, again, this, this technocratic, as it called, technocratic system of um, controlling the world, you know. There's nothing in Technocracy Inc. that said that those who, that would control it should be poor, or as poor as the general public were going to be. Uh, on the contrary, you see, so it's, it's very appealing, this idea of technocracy, where everything is reduced to energy. And, of course, energy at the moment is simply transmuted into a dollar value or a pound value or a euro value or whatever it happens to be. And you're subject to it, you see. But it really, supposedly, under their idea, uh, was that everything is energy. To make a product is all energy. Somebody puts out the energy to make this or change it from this to that to that. It's all really gradients and change of, of energies, you see. And so the idea was to bring in a perfect world where those who had the right to rule it would be technocrats. Not an elected right, but a, a natural right. Just like communism idea, without being subjected to, to, or really responsible to the public again. Because you see, they were the experts, and experts should run the world. That was the idea. It's quite amazing, as I say, when you look at today... And the CEOs of corporations that walk on water with their ridiculous TED Talks, they always have to create their own lingo to be in-house. You know, you're, you're one of us. You're, here's, a, here's the latest terminology to be cool. They come up with new terms all the time about their, their particular area. And they, they flap their hands a lot, like Bill Gates does, because they've all done their motivational you know, training, etc., and apparently impresses punters if you flap your hands a lot and you wave your arms and run them down the stage. And uh, they're like peas in a pod in a sense. And they have to be really innovative, which means even more startling than the person before them. That's what they mean by innovation. And uh, the idea, too, is interlaced with psychology, where psychologists got into the, to the, the, the social area long ago, you see, to do with factory management and so on, and how to manage the, the, the people who were doing monotonous tasks and making them work harder and faster, and then trying to deal uh, with the emotional upset it would cause so that they didn't uh, crack up and claim compensation, things like that. Uh, so make everything more efficient. In fact, you get them on drugs if they would be, as long as they, they, they could still do, put out the same output. It was quite good, you see. So put them all on drugs, and even give them counselling. If they're really good employees, you could put down to insurance and put them, and get counselling for them, so as they could manage to handle the extra stress at work, you see. And uh, so psychology is a big, big part of managing us all with technocracy. Today. Look at the COVID thing. How many millions of dollars have been spent using these behavioral insights teams to, pro- to con us and lie to us to get us to do things that, they want, uh, that the elite want us to do uh, on behalf of those who rule us? I don't say we govern us, they rule us. <laughs> I, you know, I don't elect anybody, so why are they ruling me? Uh, I, don't, I don't vote. It's a con game. It's been a con game all my life. The elite have always got their people into office, and I'll touch on a few things tonight that even show it, perhaps, more openly uh, and evidently uh, than things beforehand. Uh, For instance, there are some good videos out right now. There's a lot of good videos if you want to spend your life watching videos, but 
and I can't even get the speed to watch them because I'm getting I'm getting hammered by the, it isn't just going after <laughs> your income or shadow banning the now and I've had this for years uh, they literally have got my server to to, to slow me down to, to, to like one to two megabits per second up until midnight and I can't it just yeah I can't watch anything until midnight you see and then like a magic switch it just turns on yeah? And which is what it is, it's a switch. So I get throttled and choked and so on. I had that years ago, the same problem. Uh, for years and years and years, when I was, I was doing lots of shows and so on, like sometimes five a day, and putting out um, information that people really hadn't heard before. I, I kind of broke the rules because I realized, that's why I came out. Uh, people were navel-gazing, yet a lot of... Um, People in the States who stuck on the same topics, but it was navel-gazing. They didn't realize there was a big world agenda. And I came out and I had, to, I had to connect the dots for them all and give them information and what was really, really happening. And that caused a big stir at the time. But after a while, I got hammered. I, I could, as I say, I'm right back to where I was, where I was, getting one or two, I was going to download something, in fact, uh, before I did this talk. And it was only, I think, 24 megabytes. It was that, the speed is that slow. And this is not cheap, what I'm paying for a satellite. Yeah? And it said it would take me a day to download the 24 megabits. That, that's how bad I get hit hammered here. So don't think that, that I'm sitting here and I'm not getting... I've, I've been getting hammered since day one. I was getting shadow banned before you heard the term. Once you realized what I was talking about... And it's like a panic mode, and suddenly, suddenly, I was people couldn't find me. It's very suddenly, because I was saying things they didn't want the public to. You understand? You control information by controlling people, and you understand too that in the U.S. especially, and the intelligence agencies in Canada use the U.S. as well. They work with them. That uh, during the Cold War, the CIA set up. What was then Patriot Radio across America from the 60s and 70s on. And I and even hired a lot of pastors and put them on uh, to, to, to preach against communism as an antidote to communism. And, uh, and that worked off pretty well for a time. But then, then they brought other people in too. And, and really it was thick, really thick with uh, propagandists for the CIA. And the all-seeing eye never gives up something that works, for, even if it gets to be kind of peacetime. There's never peacetime with the CIA. And the CIA has got nothing to do with America, what Americans think it's got to do. It really, it really hasn't. The, the whole, in fact, the whole idea of a new world order that America must sink into after financing and building in this new world order and they must themselves sink into it is, is a CIA creation. For, the, for those who haven't figured it out themselves. And the CIA with different front groups, just like communism did, did many front groups, uh, worked uh, and gave you the Macy groups and all the other groups that combined and worked together. Even with Bertrand Russell, he worked with them all. And the Frankfurt schools and... Uh, and so on, they all worked together to bring a whole new culture in preparation for a world culture, which they would submerge all the nation states into one big system for total control. And business and technology would rule 
as we have today. To such an extent that most folk haven't figured it out yet. They still think we're fighting other countries. As I say, tonight I'll put up some links to, to, to YouTubes and things, little bits I've seen. I could, after midnight sort of thing, I could see them after midnight, little clips and bits and bites of, before I get cut off. And I do get cut off all the time. So I don't think I sit here and I've got it quite easy. I, I, I've been hammered since, oh, for many years, put it that way. Many, many years getting hammered with, uh, with problems. And it's all intentional, naturally. Because those who think they're living in a reality, a little bubble of we're democratic, or even if you're in a republic, you've got a democratic right to vote and so on, and it's a republic, well, go back to sleep. And I think George Carlin said it, the comedian George Carlin, he said uh, about the American dream, he says, of course, he says, you have to be asleep to believe in it. It's a dream. And he says, it's a big club and you ain't in it. And that's so true. But today, with, with the complete interconnection of agencies, like spy agencies, and business, big business, Technology and assets. You see, most most people who who work for agencies are assets. They work in front companies and so on. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of front companies, especially in intelligence work, to do with technology. And they share it and they sell it across the world. And um, this this whole idea that you're living in a nation that protects its borders is a joke anyway, but even even its um, airwaves borders uh, and its uh, AI borders is an utter farce. Because they, they've got people working in all different countries uh, to manage us all, basically. And uh, again, as I say, I'll touch on that tonight because it's important to understand how some of it works, at least some of it works. Even if what the, the ones they're showing you, it sometimes are maybe an agency themselves. Eh? Never, never ever stop and, <laughs> and just take everything and swallow it for, take it for granted. But years ago, I can remember talking about companies. One of them was Stratfor, and Stratfor is well known um, as an intelligent intelligence asset. They call it an asset, even though it's all intelligence folk that work in it, from, and often from different countries too. One in particular. And uh, but they work with the CIA and uh, and all the top ones and the, and the Pentagon. There's its own agencies. Uh, everybody's got its own. The, the, the Navy has its own agency, very high one in fact. The U.S. Navy, just like the U.K. and Britain. So uh, yeah, they, but they all work together for the common good, which is their own wallets and the promotions and. Um, continuation after retirement into very lucrative con- uh, positions for the mil- in the military-industrial complex. So, uh, once again, it's only people at the bottom that think these are our guys, you know, and gals. And no, it's not. They're not at all. They're bought and paid for. And they often have less integrity than the person in the street who's way more patriotic than the person up yonder. And that, again, is very true because of the incredible indoctrination that we all have. And and these are natural instincts we have to be patriotic. It's very, very, it's tribal, very tribal. Uh, 
and we we get attached even to the dirt we're born in on basically uh, that's where your nation is it's your home it's a natural thing so it never dawns on you that the, the, the people who are paid to so-called represent it even in armed forces at the very very top are often on the payrolls for much higher agencies the intelligence services that are working for a different, completely different agenda, and including their own pursuit of incredible wealth for its members. And there's nothing, there's nothing they don't know about you. Nothing. And I, I used to give the talks years ago, and I said, you know, you're giving all your, all your data to them every day, willingly, on Facebook and Twitter, and, and, uh, and, then you, and, and even your emails are all, you know they're all read. But from that, in a daily, a daily program, they can update it automatically. All your profiles are updated automatically. And whatever you add to you, to, 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 to people you're communicating with, is all put on your, your profile. And they work out. And they've got pretty perfect simulations they can run with you, a virtual you, putting you through the virtual you through scenarios, like life scenarios. And predicting very accurately how you will handle these different situations. It's all sussed out. And that's all sold from intelligence agencies to other private agencies that work with them. That's how they get around the legalities of things, by using private agencies too, you see. That's quite something, eh? But um, don't, don't think for, an, for, for one moment... Your, your government, in fact, your government is so far off into the future, in a sense, and has been for a long time. Most folk will never, never catch up to what it's all about. And I've mentioned some awfully good drama series. Was there's more reality in them, like the Last Enemy series in Britain, to show you how far the technology was even then from GCHQ. Watching everybody, and not just in their own country, but across the world, including people they, they knew would migrate to Britain from other countries. And so it all worked out who they were before they'd even come into the country. It's just astonishing. And then, as I say, too, um, the, the agencies themselves, they're often competing with each other for, again, it's, it's always for money at the top, the very, very top. Because information is incredible, incredibly well, you know, people buy it for big, big bucks. Massive, you know. Blackwater, I think, recently bought over one of the genealogical research firms that you all volunteer, <laughs> volunteer to give all your data about your DNA and your heritage to. Uh, and uh, you, go, oh, you, you just can't help people, eh? You can't. And insurance companies just love this. Oh, now we know these folk are prone to this whole lineage there and, and who they're related to, their other cousins. They're probably so much percentage um, prone to this and that as they are too. And it's all worked out with algorithms pretty precisely. And up goes your insurance. And, or I'll say, well, in the present state with the COVID nonsense, you know, uh, now that they're deciding, you know, openly who's going to live and who's going to die before you go into the hospital, should you happen to go in, if they're even going to bring you in and give you treatment. Because, you see, they try to spend the money on the ones who are more likely to come through. Have you figured out the hospitals are not privately owned? They're, not, they're privately owned in a good deal, at least half of them. 
like half half of their, their cost is, is privately owned. Corporations work them all. Tonight I'll put up um, a good documentary. It's up on Vimeo. A free, uh, yeah, I should watch it for free. I think mostly it's still paid elsewhere, but Vimeo has um, the permission of John Pilger. Uh, a free one up on the National Health Service in Britain, the war on the National Health Service. And he does a good job, as always, into the, what's happened when it shows the corporate raiders that go in there and they slash and burn and how they can, uh, they took over hospitals for like East Anglia as one project, a multi-million dollar, you know, they, they get paid, multi, these CEOs get multi-million dollars paychecks to go into the social constructs of the hospitals, so financed by the people, the taxpayers, and they plunder them for themselves and destroy how it works and and destroy lives in the process. And they give you, in the, the documentary that he, he puts out, one example, say the East Anglia, where I think it was East Anglia Hospital, where this guy, Ali Parsa, now Ali Parsa owns, at the moment, uh, many his fingers and lots of pies to do with healthcare and so on for profits. Naturally, he, he he was a head guy at Goldman Sachs before all this kind of thing, and now he's got an app out, the Babylon app, in the UK, so he can get um, virtual GP or doctor consultations when it costs you, of course. He's just a humanitarian, you understand. So that's Ali Parsa. He, apparently he's been on TED Talks before, again, a lot of hand-waving and very convincing character who destroyed uh, some of the hospitals. He, he's been brought in as management consultants. That's what they, what they call them. We're management consultants. We can help you run it more efficiently. And, and they slash and burn to the bone uh, for profits, profits, profits as they partly privatise these hospitals. Right down in, to, to some of those hospitals, um, but anyway, you'll see it in the documentary. The guy should be should be literally put up there with lots of other faces on massive billboards for the villains that they are, and, and called that villains that should have been tried and put in prison for what they've done. Right up to Cameron and all the other different characters that have been, and Tony Blair, to all the usual. All these folk from different parties, they're all the same folks working on the same agendas. And the idea is not to help the people, but to enrich themselves public-private partnerships. Where have we heard? That's, that came out, public-private partnerships, from Prince Charles. You've often heard of that. But the fact is, the ones who brought it out were from the guys in the Trilateral Commission, way back, you know, that they would bring in their system, which again is technocracy. But it's amazing to see all work this way, you see. And what's well, public-private partnerships? You, you'll pay for it all, and we'll privatize it. So there'll be profit for these guys who are in the private parts. But the public will pay for the upkeeps and yada, yada, yada. And the costs of, of running it all that. Not bad deal, eh? And because of public-private partnerships, the people have seen their infrastructure sold off to these corporate fascists who plunder you big time and make it more and more inefficient for its electric or water supplies or gas or whatever it happens to be. All these, again, energy areas of technocracy. And um, 
and it's not stopped. It's to bring, it's to bring a whole world in like this, in fact, with, with all, all the resources under the control. Going way back again to Lord Milner, Alfred Milner and the British Empire idea, it was something to do with going across the world. They told, they told the peasants in Britain this, is to bring civilization to the world. Romans, ancient Rome said the same thing. Because it's, it's, it rolls off the tongue easily. We're bringing civilization, you know, across the world. Uh, but it's, it's really to get to resources and a tax base, because you can plunder folks through their taxes. And uh, that's what they did, of course. Um, they didn't start the idea. Even India, India itself, uh, they had different Maharajis in India who lived off the taxes off the public and all the transactions through commerce and so on. And many of them liked the idea, in fact, when Britain and Clive of India amalgamated a lot of the, the country under the British Empire, they, they, some of them liked it, the Maharajas, because they could split the loot. And Britain liked that too, because they worked awfully well. The elite of Britain worked awfully well with the caste system of India, because those at the top, the Brahmins, were pretty much like the folk who ruled Britain or the city of London. They, they had a complete disdain for the lower caste, you see. So it was a, it was a marriage made in heaven, you see. And uh, and they could plunder them all and share the taxes, etc., of the peasants. So, no, don't think that Britain invented this idea, or at least I call it London, because the British folk were the same as everybody, even even the sepoys, etc., in India that worked for Britain, the military there, for the Raj. Uh, they were just the same, young guys who get recruited in the armies, and uh, it never dawns them really that, that they're working for something that's corrupt. They think they're being patriotic, generally. Every country is the same, isn't it? Because it's a natural instinct to defend your own country. When a con comes in, you're getting used. They generally never figure that out until it's too late if they, if they live that long. But that's that's the system. The system we're living in today is uh, is a CIA type operation that goes way back before the CIA was given a name. As I said to Lord Alfred Milner, the, the city of London, the banking fraternity, would rule. And, of course, a lot of that it was shifted to, with the, to the Council on Foreign Relations. They shared it and divided up in Kipling's time. And they, they created the CFR in America in the 1920s. And they took their share of it by um, diverting taxes and so on to special benevolent funds to help folk across the world as it took over other nations. And they could have a, a, a massive economic um, hotspot in New York City, of course. The Empire State. What empire is that? Eh? What empire are they talking about? Well, guess. Guess, folks. So, so folks never generally figured out. And it's not their fault. But what I will say here is that uh, no matter what the information is that you get, you have to really try and verify it for yourself as best you can. And don't take anything at face value. Because there are so many players in the, art, in the intelligence, the artificial intelligence world that we're in today, so many players uh, that you're generally being deceived by somebody along the way. Even, even people who innocently might part the same stuff off that they've got from elsewhere uh, or send it to and really believe it, they'll fall for it at times, you know. Because you have no idea of the power of manipulation through artificial intelligence. And today, with a lockdown, you can actually see it. 
when more and more folk are, are sitting at home on the internet all the time, and some of the things that they'll they'll freak out about, they shouldn't be freaking out about, and they're panicking because that becomes the real world. They're not seeing people; they're not even meeting people. That's one of the, 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 the uh, that's one of the consequences and the casualties of isolation is that you, they start to distrust themselves, and then they'll start falling for things that they shouldn't be falling for, you see. Very sci-fi, isn't it? You're locked in your own little world, and you, you have no human contact, or very little. Uh, and what you get could be coming from, again, computers themselves, just algorithms hitting you. Or, or as I've mentioned before, the, the 77th Brigade in Britain, of, of thousands of cyber warfares, uh, guys that they employ, and their assets, which run to the multi-thousands of them across the world to use them. This one group based in Britain for the Department of Defense. And uh, these are the guys that literally will pick up those who are putting out information, and then attack them like crazy. They've already got all the information on your personality. They know your Achilles heels, and they can hit you and try to destroy you internally by pretending to even befriend you. Be awfully careful of this technique. Now, tonight, I'll put up a, a link as well. And, I, and, and be wary as well, because you, you don't know where it comes from, really, or who's really behind it, but it's with Millie Weaver, who I don't know much about it myself, except that, that um, who knows, uh, she's involved herself in some kind of intelligence. I just don't know. I don't know. But uh, it could very possibly be, especially when you see the people who have come out and put a video out that she was working on, that, that Weaver was working on, with a woman called Tora. This is a name she goes by, Tora, and another fella who also worked for security agencies in the U.S. Very interesting. There's no doubt about it. It's got all the, 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 the positive... Um, facts that come out with the, this incredible spider web of intrigue and and blackmail through, through intelligence gathering on every single individual, and it really goes into it in some depth. Uh, I've only seen little bits and pieces again because I can't get at a constant speed here. I'm getting hit hard because of what I do, <laughs> and I pay money for it too uh, to get that ridiculous speed. But um, as I say, be careful, because as again, the one thing that I do know is that they, that they do go in to how Donald Trump's been hammered and, and hit. And I don't go into politics myself, because I, I, I see them all as just players in the same game, politicians, uh, who are often backed by even foreign powers themselves, with big agendas, you see. And I've thought about what um, what I know of Trump, and he. I know I had people that when he got elected in the city, he's our last hope. I thought, oh, my goodness, did, did they know anything about this guy? He's our last hope. A guy from New York is our last hope. And then you, you think about his speeches. His speeches are awfully important, even though they're probably written by a speechwriter. You see, but when he was running the last time. He did say he was going to allow Big Pharma and the vaccine industry 
to cut a lot of corners and get things out to them. It's for the public's good, you see. Get things out to the public. People in need, with all the incredible testing and, and delays that they have to go through, to go through for safety, he's going to rush things through. So that was a clue to me, right off the bat, who was also backing him. And it was important. I knew, I knew then something was going to come down the pike with us getting put into force and bingo. But also, uh, he... He's, and I know Obama did this too, I believe, but they allowed, they, they, I remember reading it at, uh, at the time and talking about it in a, in a talk where they were allowing pharmacology to, or at least the guys who owned the companies, drug companies, to put in different ingredients, substituting ingredients, into, into well-known medications because they'd be cheaper, these, these substitutes, than what they were using already. But they may be, may be less safe, and of course, they may be not have, it would not have the same efficacy, you see. So, yeah, the bigger prices, are, and same, are, same prices are bigger prices for the same drugs, and using cheaper chemicals to make them, substituting the ones for the ones that were proven. That was another part of it, too. Well, Pharmacology is one of the biggest rackets out there, unfortunately. So anything that has that, that to do with people and helping people is, is, the, is a, an open door for corruption. You know, we're from the government, we're here to help you. That's like another one, too, is from, from the state itself. But from big business, from we're part of your community nonsense and stuff like that, right down to we're here to help you. Don't... It's a multi-billion-dollar industry in the states alone, and these guys are not there to help you. Look at the look at this the incredible oxycontin farce we had for years and years, with with the family that did it with with again a lot of help. Eh? Uh, knew darn well that this is going to addict millions of people and kill a lot too. Well, they were. They, Big profits, big, big business, and how much collusion of folk in government went along with that. And of course, do you think money didn't? Of course, money changes hands. Eh? There's other ways of getting money to the people without it being found out. And because we're run by corruption, for God's sake. Utter corruption. From the top to the bottom, there's nothing out there that's not corrupt, including all those at the head of the armed forces. Integrity went out a long time ago, unfortunately, you know. And that was just get rich quick. And the massive military-industrial complex that built up during the Cold War and, and really um, quadrupled itself probably at least in the last 15, 20 years of the Cold War. It just got worse and worse after the Cold War and changed its sights on the public. I remember years ago, I said, well, what will they do now? What, what will the military-industrial complex do now that the, the Cold War is over, they said? Uh, well, it's going to change its way and, and go into surveillance. And that's where their money would be in high-tech surveillance of the populace. So there you go, right? from defending you, because they're there to defend you, you thought, right? <laughs> To, to, to surveilling you and selling you and selling all to government by lobbying. Hmm? Uh, folk never really figure it out. So anyway, I'll put this link up to Millie Weaver and um, she apparently was arrested, I think, uh, uh, who knows, uh, arrested on Friday perhaps, but um, because probably because of this video 
but something to do also with having access to Hillary Clinton's emails or something, which I thought lots of folk probably had. So we'll soon find out. But the same token, too, be careful of everything, because you don't know who's working for who, for what. You really don't. And I won't go any further in some areas, but you really don't. But in the little bits I could glean from in the video, they did go into some of the tricks of the trade and the incredible corruption within all these different agencies that the general population don't even know exist. There's hundreds and hundreds of the front companies, and you'll see the same characters in, in the U.S. Congress and in uh, the State Department and in the military at the top, all CEOs of the biggest big corporations that are buying and selling information for private companies that the taxpayer funds initially through the CIA and NSA, etc., and all get shared with all these private companies, and they make money off you all. But, they manip- but it did go into how they can manipulate every kind of vote and how they've got the target areas of even people who riot and have revolutions. They can actually get them all excited by using the same techniques, by the way, as the 77 Brigade in Britain and using them in the States uh, because they know everybody. They're all on cell phones. Obama gave them the cell phones and they even used that against them. They used, manipulated all the folk with the free cell phones for the Ferguson riots. You hear the guys explaining how it was done. And I, I mentioned last week, maybe the week before too, that do you really think that all these folk are rioting? They don't know all about you. All about you. Never mind that the live assets they have amongst you there. They'll turn you in, all in down the road when it's, when, when it's time to do so. But yeah, they, they can literally really work on folks' emotions en masse very quickly, by the way to stir up their angst, etc., by giving them false information, the fake news stuff targeted to their cell phones. Did you know that those so-and-sos are doing this to you? Yada, yeah, and they, and they all get the same information, and you can get them to riot just very, very quickly. Quite amazing. So anyway, there's some good stuff in the, the documentary. I haven't seen it all, because I can't, because of my speed and the internet. But uh, again, be wary, again, as to... When folk come forward to help, you don't know, is this another agency working for another agency, uh, and so on. And there's some agencies, in, as I say, in, in uh, Texas, for instance, and California, that are even foreign-owned, you know, that work with the CIA. So it's a murky world out there, as I say, and um, be very, very careful. But you'll, you can learn a lot if you want to. And it might make folk at least a bit more cautious, maybe with their own information, if it really matters, because there's nothing they don't know about you already. And it's disgusting. Our whole reality is utterly run by corruption, total corruption. And everywhere you look, total corruption. And they even mention that too. Everybody's blackmailable. If they want to get you, there's nothing they don't know about you. You'll hear that woman Tora in the documentary saying that, yeah, they, they can find out about if they've got a target, for instance, and find out who their acquaintances are, where their, you know, where their relatives are, and then check all the information of the folk who knew them years ago and try and get every little bit of dirt on them that they can possibly get and, uh, and then use it on them, blackmail them, blackmail them in a sense, to do their own bidding. And that's how the world is run today. Look what happened with the COVID thing, eh? 
and how many things were working up to a crescendo at the time. You had the Epstein case and uh, the the Gwen Maxwell, of course, all too conveniently timed for her arrest, uh, knowing this was all going to be swept under the rug to an extent. And with a big, much bigger intelligence operation behind them all, massive intelligence operation, including the fixers and the players and the distributors and the managers of the intelligence agency in the States that was running them too and financing them. Uh, incredible information. And it's all just gone quiet now, isn't it? Pretty, pretty well. Because those who control all information and target information to us all know how to do it and how we just quiet, quiet away all the little references to, to Gwilane Maxwell and, uh, and suddenly just COVID, COVID, COVID and etc. That's how it's done. You've seen it yourselves doing searches now. As I say, there's, there's, I don't think there's a single search in that engine out there now that's untouched. I very much doubt it. And then it'll try to guide you off to the stories that they'd rather you look to it rather than the ones you're trying to find. And it's not going to get any better because our, our systems are utterly corrupt. The people are corrupt and you can't fix it. It's so far gone. You know. Years ago I said too, I, I, even when I first came out talking about things, I said, you know, I, I didn't have a computer then. I said, I didn't want one. I said, I knew what it was for. And I knew it would bring in a, a hellish world, you know. Uh, the, the old idea that uh, Satan couldn't bring in his world of total control, a hell on earth, without the computer, because of the, the com- complete access to everyone's private thoughts and doings continuously. Couldn't be, could be done, I say. And I knew it wasn't for the public's benefit. I mean, ARPA had it for the military during the Cold War, and they had it since at least the 50s, actually. And right on, uh, and it became DARPA, and then then it gave you, at the bottom, uh, obsolete technology, right up to the present time. It's still obsolete compared to what they had, in fact, even then. And they'll tell you it's the latest for big profits and all the rest of it. But it was all designed from the beginning to to get all your information from you, including the big Google machine, the big massive intelligence operation uh, that uh, even ran uh, their MySpaces and things. I think it did even mention that in a documentary. I think they mentioned that in the documentary about uh, how they did a lot of startup companies themselves. And it was all to get folk to start dishing out their private information, which they would then acquire, you see. It's a morass out there of of overlapping agencies and both governmental and private agencies and private contractors, as they like to call themselves too, that work for them. It's just, uh, it's you, you can't fix it, folks. But the system was designed that way too, that there would be no no protection for the for the people, the general population. Again, the military industrial complex is a is a for profit business. As I say, they they said they were going to mass surveillance when they couldn't be making missiles and anti-missile, ballistic missiles and so on. Uh, for the, when at the end of the Cold War, they were going to an intelligence um, gathering of, of the public, over the public themselves, and um, spying on the public it's under the guise of security. Yeah. Can't be fixed. 
So sad, but uh, that's the way it is. I, I said years ago too, many years ago, I said, don't throw away your little um, photocopiers, even though they can trace where, where everything comes from because you don't see it, but there's actually a number uh, which is available under certain lighting um, of, of every photocopy uh, page that you make of any machine uh, because they can trace where that comes from too. That's how much we've been spied on even before we were given access to to the to the, the, the personal computer, <laughs> calling that personal is your personal computer, and I've got privacy on my personal computer. Years <laughs> anti-spyware systems or parts of agencies too working with them to get all your information. As you use when you scan, you scan everything. It's getting sold off again, even if you pay for the program. Uh, it's so sad, isn't it? The corruption everywhere. But you have to stop and say, well, wait a minute here. How do we get this far if humanity was so corrupt? And it's a good question. And, and most folks should come to that point and say, well, how, how do we even get this far? It's because you had checks and balances before. You had cultures that often, even if you, you, were, you were weaning off of Christianity like the West was, by force, actually, <laughs> as they try to elevate science above uh, religion in order to dominate you more, more efficiently, you see. Uh, you got to understand that uh, they knew where they were going to take it. But at least, with, even if, you, if it was waning, if it was waning, Christianity was waning, you had, you had your moral guidance from it. Whether you liked it or not, it was there. There, was, there were rights and there were wrongs, you see. These are moral, moral things that which you, you grew up with. You, you knew when you were doing something. Personally, I believe folk know when they're doing something wrong anyway. I really do, you know. But but when you enter a materialistic system, an ex-moral society, or ex-moralistic society, into materialism, which is what you've all copied, and that was well explained in political punerology. Excellent read. I mentioned that many, many years ago, uh, where the, the psychologists and psychiatrists in the Soviet Union area, era looked at their own politicians and compared them with the West and found out what they had in common. And they came up with the idea that they're psychopathic. And of course they are. But they also found out you can give, like the West, you see, it was always to do with the decadent West. They had copied materialism because they threw Christianity out the window and copied another group of, of big business people who, who, whose whole life is business, money, 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 materialism. And when you start to adopt the completely materialistic system and elevate wealth to the top to replace God, then morality goes out the window anyway. That's a natural occurrence, you see. And that's what's happened. And it's all through the strata of society and all through your institutions. It's just greed, greed, greed is phenomenal. Right down to, to people talking about celebrities. What was a celebrity? It's someone who, who's who's given a, 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 a lot of publicity by the publicity makers who own the system. Like the machinery that makes you pop stars or rock stars or whatever it happens to be. Uh, they're made. They're, they're, it's not because they've got a special talent that nobody else has got. It's because they're made to be. And uh, they've been doing that for years and years, your whole life long before you were born. That's how you, they've made these stars. Uh, just like just like 
vaudeville, for instance, and basic theatre in Britain, if you went back into the 1800s, you had these nice little, actually, I like some of the, uh, the, the old theatres that retain some sort of the old style, where actors and actresses went on stage and they did their thing, and uh, but they weren't paid a lot of money. In fact, they were looked down to, on to an extent because they were, it, it wasn't like a, a real job, you see. And uh, and they and they often were, were because they would break the rules of society, even in their, in their acting. You had to show you what you did in acting. Uh, then then um, the women were looked upon as being rather gauche, as they gauche, you know, gauche, and um, or loose, as they used to say, or fast. I guess it's another term they used. Well, rather fast. And uh, so the so loose morality was looked down upon by the general population. Uh, and they weren't wrong, actually. They often, they often they were. <laughs> the, the people, uh, they, were, they liked their, their drinks and, and drugs too, you know, even then. But then once the big money folk came in and took over the whole industry of entertainment, morality immediately went out the window even further to a real nosedive. And... Um, they elevated them into stardom. Well, they're, now they're stars, you see. The folk who just acted bits, bit parts here and there and got big money for it. They, but now they got big money, they didn't before. And they made them celebrities. Cause, and, of course, the idea of, of stars is important because you follow the stars. This is the idea. There's somebody's now. And so whatever, whatever, idea, idiocy, whatever idiocy came out of their mouths, would be parted by lots of people through magazines, etc. And then they'd start to copying what, what they were being told in the magazines. Because these were famous people now, and I'll be like them now, you see. And so much of it was targeted at women. 97%, I remember giving the talks years ago, of the magazines right up into the 1980s and 90s in the US were targeted to women. And... All advertisers will tell you, the study after study they do, and psychology and, and public relations that they do, you know, PR companies, will tell you that the women are far easier to influence. They'll try something new, where the men are way more conservative, you see. So, so you can change society through the women much easier. And that was an old idea, too. They, they've known that down through history. Uh, so um, that's why in this COVID push right now, you'll see a lot of the women freaking out in stores and attacking people for not wearing masks and things like that because they're watching TV all it, and they believe this. It really gets emotional, you see. It's meant to switch on the emotions, not logic. It's to bypass logic and make you react as opposed to think and, uh, and reason. And that's why it's aimed at a lot of the women are just going nuts and attacking folk. There's lots of little clips out there, I believe, is showing this. So we're manipulated all the time by following the, suddenly the following the stars. People who who get millions. Why do you get millions of dollars? Because someone tells you to stand here, right, right, and say this, and you say it. I used to think about the James Bond movies, you know. And when you saw what they got paid, the guys that played Bond, and and each little quip that came out of their mouths was written for them, little short phrases, you know. And I'd always say there's another million million dollars just for that quip, and he's another million dollars. And 
really, lots of folk could, could have done it. None of the people who, who did this stuff were, were geniuses. Some of them were, were better liked than, than others and things like that. But the fact is, they're made into stars. Stand here, say this, you know, put your hand there, bring this woman towards you, push her away, blah, blah. And you're made a star. And you get millions of dollars for doing that. And then when you're brought out to speak on certain political points of view or social conditions or whatever it happens to be, folk will suddenly listen to you like you're a somebody because you're rich. You're an actor who often doesn't know their own mind, a lot of the actors, you know. They really don't. Because all they do is play other people. But it's the, it's the, and that's what George Clooney and Angelina Jolie as you also made a member of the Council on Foreign Relations, along with Clooney, and a few other ones too, brought on board by them, because the public will follow them and, and take their opinions more seriously, because they're actors and well-known. Think about that in itself. It doesn't say much about us at all, does it? That, that if a Clooney says it, an actor, simply because he's well-known and he's made famous, right? meaning, meaning wherever you look, you, you read his name, but by the machinery that makes them, suddenly you're, you're going to start to, well, he said it, and he's a decent guy. You don't know the guy. You never met him. But you think he's a decent guy. And uh, so therefore he's probably right about this topic that I, I, I haven't really looked into. So you adopt his opinion. Very easy, isn't it? And that's the way it goes. But everything is so fake, so incredibly fake. And uh, and it's sad how, how fake it is, and how the public themselves don't know. Don't know. Look at all the old um, TV productions of uh, of rock groups, for instance, going way way back, and how pre- overproduced it all is. Even ABBA. I mean, yeah, you like the music and all that, but. They mimed on stage all the time. It's all miming. They couldn't do that live, even in a, even in a, coming out on a stage, because it takes a long time to prepare the kind of sounds to get the sound the same. Way too much time, in fact, on a stage to sing one or two songs, you see. Then it's worth it. It would take you hours and hours to prepare it all. And uh, so they come up and mime, and, and most folk don't know that. But so were all the other groups out there doing it too. Nothing was plugged in, the guitars weren't plugged in anything. But the, the kids growing up, the children growing up, they thought it was all real. It was all real, they thought. And, and often, often, uh, and, and their albums, it was session guys who would play the stuff for them. Because often they weren't good enough to play this stuff themselves. <laughs> So they bring in session guys to to play them, and and, and arrange them too. Often. But anyway, uh, we're a sad lot, aren't we, as human beings? That most folk can't figure this out. We, we truly are a sad lot. Now everything's been fake, 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 fake. You know? And people look back in nostalgia to even the fake stuff because. Every generation is, is supplied with, they don't create it, but they're supplied with a music for them that they'll live with for the rest of their lives and think back on fondly, you know. Because they were doing this at the time when I heard this song first and blah, blah, and it sticks with them and, 
And, and as, as life gets worse and worse, as, as they get older, <laughs> you look back a lot more <laughs> frequently than they used to. And uh, these kind of things, well, my goodness, yeah, it was kind of pleasant back then, you see. So, uh, but they were supplied with it. Your fashion was supplied too. There's a culture industry. It's complete. It's music, it's plays, it's uh, drama, it's art of all kinds. It's what you wear. It's all put on for you and supplied for you to differentiate you and your mind with those just ahead of you, older, and those young ones still to come, you see? To make you think this is you. Then you're used. It's our generation, eh? Yeah, we're doing well. We're we're on the cusp here, and we're making history. Yeah, they think. They have no idea it's all made for them. Now, when it gets down to intelligence agencies again, financed by the taxpayer, well paid too. A big part of the budget goes to it, a huge part, part actually. They have already access to all the data on the pul- on their, on their citizenry. And they use these asset companies, private companies. They're also staffed by ex-military and ex-CIA, etc., and, and ex-MI6 um, and MI5 and all the rest of it, working in the private fields. They can get round the bends of, of, of regulations. They get, they're all, you can all share the same information, but then use it and sell it off even. They, they, they get, the governments contract these private ones. And so, but they keep records for themselves too. Wherever they, they, they find out, they keep a record for themselves. Then they sell it off and they give the government the one that they, re, they re asked for in the first place. But they've got access to all this other data. And anything coming back, you see any little inquiry, any little nuisance deal, is easily fobbed off by saying, well, you know, um, we didn't do it ourselves, says your, your MI5 or MI6. Um, it wasn't us that did it. But no, they're working hand in glove with a private contractor. Often they had worked in MI5 or 6, and uh, and they can get away with it. Well, we're a private business, you know, and there's nothing to stop us from doing this. We're not working for the public. And that's how it's done. These same intelligence agencies are all working full-time right now with the behavioral insights teams and psychological sage groups and so on uh, to persuade you, including ones I've read about Yale put up again too, how Yale's working, get big money to, to try to con the public into obeying and doing what they're told by the governments and to take this COVID idea seriously and all the rest of it. And uh, never mind the, the fact that in Britain, as I've mentioned before, the SAGE groups and so on, uh, put out um, recommendations to all the media at the beginning of this whole COVID idea that uh, they'd have to really frighten the public into compliance. And how to do it, to, to apply more more pressure on the public and create more anxiety by exaggerating certain problems and so on. As they said, these are your governments lying to you. Well, when they do that all the time, there's, there's nothing you should ever take and believe them on at all, ever, again, never. Using your tax money to lie to you. <laughs> Never mind the fact, of course, you're, you're getting the, the great reset for the World Trade Organization and uh, for the World Economic Forum and the World Bank and the International Monetary Fund and the Bank for International Settlements as they bring in their new world order, the great reset. Eh? And it means a post uh, 
individual uh, society. You can be an individual. You're only part of the masses now, you see. And uh, mind you, they have different masses within the masses group. You'll have certain special interest groups and special privilege groups, depending on what, if you belong to certain minorities, as we all know, you know, you're given more privileges, etc. But but generally, you're all part of the mass, you see. And uh, you can't, individualism is a threat to world peace, according to the United Nations. Said that long ago. And again, they, they keep reiterating that kind of idea. The individual can think and communicate is a big problem to them. And as it was with Bertrand Russell, who said they have to eliminate them. <laughs> so we're living in an agenda, you see. Uh, and it's in full blast right now. And it's becoming utterly intolerant. Utterly intolerant. It's not going to get better, folks, by itself. It won't happen. And you have to really start your your your, your nonviolent uh, disobedience each time you each time you get the chance to. When you're getting ordered by idiots and uh, and even police in some countries that are really going overboard with it all, it's a shame. It's an awful shame. Uh, <laughs> And it ties in again with the culture industry. Many years ago, I said, back in the 90s, I said, you know, all I, 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 could, I, I didn't have a computer myself, but I saw nothing but ads in the papers and so on, and little clips at that time uh, 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 and, and TV, and had TV way, way back then, in the early 90s anyway. And I said, what it was was video games. I says. All you've heard for years and years is video games, the next video game, the Pac-Man, the Pokemon, all the rest of it. And game, game, game. And then they got more and more realistic. And children were addicted to these games. And I, I went through the history of some of them, where it was admitted, especially the ones in Japan, they were the first ones to admit that the military-industrial complex companies, corporations, had actually funded all of these games. And all they did do, all the, all the children did was to practice killing folk. I hope you understand what I'm saying here. Uh, and all they did was, was they got desensitized. They were designed initially f- for the military to desensitize them, troops, desensitize them from, from the act of killing. So it would be automatic and reflexive as opposed to a, a calculated thing to do. And it was awfully successful. So they then put it into the general population. And I knew then, I said, there's big wars coming up. I could tell. They were, they were creating generations to go for to war, a long, long-term war. And uh, that's all they got was video games. Kill, kill, kill. How many ones have you killed? What's your score today? Didn't matter who they were killing or why they were killing. Why didn't matter. But it was reflexive and so on. And some of them, in fact, and I did the talks on, on some of the documentaries that have been posted years ago, it's probably still the same today, where you would see the recruitment offices in Britain and the States and other countries, and they'd have games in there, they'd have the machines in there for the, for the youngsters to go in and play there and pass the time. And then in the hope that some of them would just join the military and the guys, they were slick enough to, to give them the good PR and stuff, and they were pally to them and to get them right into the military. So it was Xbox to the military, they actually said that. And that documentaries years later of guys who were in Desert Storm, 
and then in <laughs> Operation Iraqi Freedom, you know, as they invaded Iraq. And, and they talked to some of these people who'd been through it all, and they were brought up with experts, and they really just went straight into the military, almost in a dream. <laughs> and uh, it worked awfully well with them. Yeah. But some of them definitely get to post-traumatic stress syndrome afterwards when reality st- gradually works this way, and you can't ke- keep reality off for long. Because eventually you've got to think back of people you've killed that you didn't know, coupled with the fact that you start to say, what was it there? Why was it over there killing them in the first place? You see? When the propaganda wears off you. But then they give you lots of drugs now, and, and that's what, how they handle it, to make to flatten your emotions. This is a... But, uh, yeah, for, so, so this is all designed... For a generation that would end up being more violent and would use violence without thinking of even the wise that were using it. So the police are no exception. And you, you, there's articles today, I'll put some up to once in Australia, you see a cop strangling a woman pretty well with a chokehold because she hadn't got a face mask on. In the story, it actually says that she was exempt from it from some breathing because of some breathing problem. And so this brainless fool, you know, with authority of the state behind him, as he thought, uh, is going to choke a person because they're not wearing a mask. He's choking her. I guess it's to help her breathe more, more easily if she's got a breathing problem. You're dealing with morons here who are brought up with these games. And they're, they're reflexive, again, as opposed to, 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 to reasoning. They don't reason things through. They're, they're just reacting like Pavlovian style. It's like a game that they're in. And unfortunately, it's the same group that goes into the military. In fact, a lot of them come out of the military and end up doing that. So everything's got reasons to, 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 to why things are happening like this. And Britain is so bad. I mean... The sci-fis that you put in Britain, I've mentioned this before, the sci-fis were way ahead of their time, but in a, such a socialistic field, or, or way of portraying them in the sci-fis, of, you, you don't see the authoritarian part of government, so we're totalitarian. And, um, and, and of course, don't forget Britain is supposed to be the home of democracy. I don't know where they got that from, because it was a good con while it lasted. But um, but really, Britain and its satellites, its, de- its dependencies, like the, the Canada here, they used to call it Dominion of Canada, because it's part of the British Dominion, or this, this London, I call it London Dominion, because the folk in Britain, in England and Scotland, they're no wiser in any country than the other. They're all under this, this strange phenomena of a centre of London, this, where everything is centered, to, and including the, the, some of these um, secretive archives, where they train high intelligence operatives in them that folk don't even know they exist. A lot of them are underground, yeah. old ones too. So anyway, well over 100 years, some of them, these underground bases underneath London itself. In fact, they have some, some there, I get off the tangent as usual, but... There's some there that were actually built during Napoleon, Napoleonic Wars, in case Napoleon ever got into Britain. But they're not abandoned. They're, they've been put to good use for training 
uh, operatives uh, that, where, in, in areas where you don't get taught at university. Although Britain has got a, a really a lot of good places to teach them high, higher level agency uh, operations in, in national college courses too, mind you. But they have these other ones that say where they go even deeper into dark arts and so on. And I'm sure it's the same in other countries now as well. But um, but the point of it is the folk in the countries outside of this massive financial enterprise live in the in, in the tradition in in, in the, 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 the the shameful fallacy, really, of uh, their indoctrination as to what Britain was. You know, it's, it's so sad, so sad indeed. The history of Britain is was incredible greed uh, for those who had the cash, big, big money, and uh, all all completely tied in with government, where it was the crown or, or its supposed democratic system that came from the parliamentary system. But no, it's always been corrupt, of course. If you can call it corrupt, that's where the crown can do whatever it wants. It's kind of like God. It can do whatever it wants to do, and it, it always did, in fact, really. And um, as I say, from... Elizabeth the first onwards, first of England, you, you see the wealth really begin to accumulate in a massive style uh, with those who could manage the money system. But also from, from the, the coterie around her of buccaneers in a sense, like Walter Raleigh and Sir Francis Drake. These are privateers and as long as they were plundering the oceans and taking you know, Spanish galleons and the gold and so on and bringing a good portion back to the crown, they're all given titles of nobility. So I always think when you, when you hear these titles, you should be highly suspicious of them to start with. But, um, yeah, the, the, that's where they got the, the whole start of the, the, the big, big money system coming into London. And then, of course, they expanded that to all trade coming in and the swing towers that would allow ships in, but you had to pay big, big fees from your cargoes to get back out again. You see, that was the idea of the tax system in the city of London. And even today, uh, it's, it's probably the wealthiest area on the planet for managing money. The city in itself is quite uh, interesting. And again, there's a good documentary um, I saw it years ago, but someone sent me again recently. I think Britain's Secret Empire, the spider web across the, the world of, that the London controls, and how even after World War One and then two, it, uh, it it ran the military-industrial complex for a good part of the world from the city of London, from all the different armaments and, and arms trading of all kinds of missiles and and. Uh, Aircraft, fighter aircraft, bombers, and weaponry, and so on. Uh, incredible, but it's well done, actually, as I say, this particular documentary. If I can find the link for it, I'll put it up again. But uh, all from this, this square mile, but a very important square mile, where f- the four big banks really face each other. And, of course, they brought over uh, an obelisk from Egypt itself. Awfully, awfully important, that itself, isn't it? It really is. It truly is. The city. If I remember too, the 
when they were going to bring it over, that, that they built a casing for it to make it float. And they towed it across you know, to Britain. And they lost lives on the way, apparently. Um, but uh, it was awfully important to get the obelisk up there, right? Eh? <laughs> and it really fits in to, to England, doesn't it? An obelisk. <laughs> really, why? But it was to do with the people who, who ruled it, of course, uh, far more than anything else. And uh, again, everything ties in together. They're all, they're all society. I've mentioned last week and before that, many times before too. They're all society. And because Isaac Newton and his complete obsession with alchemy, basically, and Kabbalah, of course. And he studied all the, the, the writings of John Dee and Kelly. He was fascinated by them. He learned Hebrew, too. So it's, it's in order to go really into the, the magical uh, lore, basically, of Kabbalah, etc. And much of, of Newton's work today has been kind of discredited because it really wasn't backed up by anything else apart from his speculation into the occult, in a sense. But other, but, and again, he was given positions, I think, over the, the Royal Mint at one, at one point, like a retirement thing. Uh, a good income for his works and so on. So you have to say, well, what kind of works was he really involved in? You know. And then you go, you go into um, Christopher Wren, who did St. Paul's Cathedral. And again, this happened to have a, a big scroll of, of drawings for new buildings uh, before it all drafted up, it, before the fire of London, uh, kind of burned a lot of places down. He just, kind of, oh my! I just happened to have, you know, and how it came, and and he was given financing for for a different projects. But when you go into St Paul's and you look up to the high part uh, of the dome inside it, you see the square and compass right in the centre there. It's quite fascinating, a very old agenda. Eh? But again, that's another whole area of things. You have the occultic sides of things as well. And the signs and symptom of another another power that runs things, of course. It's also all combined with the money system as well. But the whole structure of control that keeps the structure under control called society. It's quite interesting in itself too. So remember, no matter what you hear from me, uh, don't freak out about things. Don't freak out. We've never had peace in society. And I've gone through countless talks about peace and generations and how you're not allowed to have peace. Peace isn't conducive to high profits from, from those who rule over you, you see. And I think Rothschild said it, Lord Rothschild, when he was asked, when you make the, the, the best um, investments and killings, in a sense, that's what the term, that's where the killings is where it comes from. He says, when blood is running in the streets, whatever you've got that the folk need, they'll pay it. They're desperate, they're terrified, they'll pay it. You can see that in the COVID idea, what the same kind of ridiculous prices for certain things. Oh, it's getting scarce, you know. And of course, the ones who, who say that are the ones who've held things back to make things scarce. This is the old, old eye. The gold reserves are, are completely <laughs> manufactured, the whole idea of gold reserves, by withholding stocks. Same with diamonds. They have, they have warehouses full of these things to make sure the prices stay up. This is how it's all managed. Very old ideas. 
But don't freak out with truth. A lot of folk, and don't push it on to people who will not handle it. You know that you know they won't handle it. They'll tell you often, or oh, don't tell me that. It's, they'll upset me, or I don't want you to think that way. Don't tell them. Because you, you, you'll make an enemy. And if it's in your own household or relatives or whatever it happens to be, um, you don't need that. And these times, you've got to folk who still help you out, and you help them out regardless. That's how it works. And some folk really can't handle it. doesn't mean they're not going to help each other out. They're going to handle the bad news part. When it all comes down, they'll, they'll help each other out through necessity. You see? So don't, don't make enemies of people or, try, or trying to evangelize. Like it's a cause, it's like a religious cause. It's not, it's not that way at all. A lot of folk truly can't because of their, their indoctrination. They cannot let go. And it would frighten them too much to think that, to think the truth, that all of this the structure of society is held together with cobwebs in a sense. This whole veneer of civilization, as they call it. And that gets me right back to all these riots in the States and that particular documentary that just came out uh, with people who are assets, in a sense, or or independent intelligence contractors for artificial intelligence. Um, They show you how they can switch riots on and off, literally, very, very efficiently, predictably and efficiently, just because if they have all the, the, the folks on the cell phones and so on, they can use them all and get them all worked up very quickly by feeding them and directing them the same information at the same time. And the last folk to know it are the folk that are getting targeted. Oh. And that goes with every area of, of uh, information in this day and age. It's, it's a dangerous area to look, even to open up a newspaper in, a day like, in an age like this, is, is, it can be upsetting because everything is so contrived and manipulated. But the bad news isn't easy, isn't easy to, to ignore. If you want to get it, you'll find it easy enough. But most folk can't handle it. They want to live in fantasy. They want to live in their dreams. They want to live and they want to believe that their favorite groups and, and musicians of years gone by were real and genuine and, and the world was better then. They want to really believe in all of that. Hmm? They want to believe that their governments were responsible and only went to war uh, out of necessity or something like that. They want to really believe that. And to throw it all in the ditch so quickly or instantly, it causes a severe case of breakdown and shock. <laughs> and it does to a lot of folk. It used to be described, waking up and the process of it was just described as death. And experiencing someone else's death, which is generally your your own death, actually. You go through the same signs of of, of someone dying, um, someone, a loved one dying. You have incredible remorse and grief when it happens, you see. Then you have to come to grips with the person's really gone. It's like truth, the truth is gone, or, or, or naivety is gone, it's buried, you see. And then you can get anger setting in, There's the same stages of, of grief, then anger. And then you want to take vengeance out on, on the evildoers, you see. 
But uh, how many folk can actually get angry when someone, a loved one, dies? It's, it's all unfair, you see. They'll actually blame them, some of them. They'll blame the person for dying at times. But when it's, it's the truth and it's reality, and it's your reality that's dying, with, along, and you die along with it to an extent, you go through the same signs and symptoms of utter depression, of loss, complete loss. Where that fabricated childhood, if you had a decent childhood, most folk I know didn't have, in Britain didn't have a decent childhood. It wasn't pleasant for most people, actually. It wasn't like like the TV dramas for the upper crusts and so on. It wasn't like that at all. It was pretty nasty. And and um, always un- unstable. You could feel it in the air, you know. Where folk live on the edge. But yeah, when that is gone, and that's all you had was looking back to a childhood, no matter how precarious it might have been, uh, the fact is, if, if you, it always feels better than it is now. And for the once the folk became uh, adults, not to work, you know. That was precarious too in the UK. You always kept on edge. The strikes would happen and folk would get laid off or government would just leave folk off anyway or get the companies and corporations to do it. And then, of course, you said, well, you know, you'll never have a full-time job in your lifetime. Get a whole bunch of part-time ones. And a whole generation grew up with that idea. No security. Because an elite had planned it that way, just like the Great Reset is again the next stage and the global elite for the global system of global wealth, global resources, power over everything for themselves. But always presented it that it's for you, it's for the benefit of humankind, you know. That's how it's always done. Meanwhile, you're tracked and traced and prodded and pinched, and there's nothing you you do that isn't known about by uh, those who, are, who want to have got your best interests at heart. Now, but before we go into a lot of topics tonight, by the way, I should just remember, remind you all that uh, please keep sending donations my way. Cuttingthroughthematrix.com You can send cash or PayPal or you can uh, send a check. I think it's MoneyGram 2 is another one. So there's ways to do it. And uh, get and, and even the straight cash is fine too. As long as it's still in use. And you can buy the books at, and discs at CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com where my books are different in that uh, it exposes a lot of reality as to for what it really is. That's the whole point of it. There's no point reading a, a, a stack of big tomes of history, you know, like five-inch books and so on, when a lot of it is phony anyway. At least uh, the realities of it all are often very phony indeed and contrived again by those who rule. So uh, I, I show you the reality of it and how symbolism is a language. And those who rule all belong to the proper associations where they, where they can understand that they're taught symbolism. That uh, one symbol can, can be a, a complete message, you know, a whole paragraph's worth or a page worth, just a symbol itself. We will do this now, is, in other words. Or close ranks is a good one too. The close ranks, uh, lots of symbols for, for those in the know 
of how to do things. The terminology they will use too have, can have different meanings amongst themselves where they can speak quite publicly and it goes over folks' heads. I heard a, uh, just recently, it was a Catholic station on the radio uh, that generally doesn't come in very well because it's aimed at Latin America usually, but sometimes it'll skip, as I say, on the ionosphere. And it came in pretty clear this day. And I was just listening to this guy uh, talking about, um, he was, uh, I don't know if he, put, he was, he was hired, in a, he was maybe even a bishop, but anyway, he was talking about something within the Catholic Church. I was kind of listening with half an ear. And um, he kept using Masonic terminology. And he says, yeah, it doesn't square with this, it doesn't square with that, and it should square. He must have said at least half a dozen times. And only Masons will use that kind of terminology, you see. Uh, and, uh, and of course, it's well known in this day and age uh, that uh, lots of Catholics and are, are Freemasons going all the way up. There are more Masons in the hierarchies of Catholicism uh, than down below, I believe. And Freemasonry, after its revolutionary phase, its real revolutionary phase, is more into the, the quieter societal revolution now still manipulating society to accept more and more and more things that perhaps they shouldn't, the kind of things that Aldous Huxley mentioned that perhaps we shouldn't accept, using techniques of persuasion and so on, for this great utopia they're going to bring in, where man to man the world over will be, will brothers be for all that, they say. It doesn't seem to be working that way right now, where, where certain brothers are bent on annihilating other brothers right now, aren't they? And an awful lot of manipulations to not bring us together into happy society, but to, to use it against society itself to break it up. Which again gives it more authority to the government to try and control it all. It's great how we can create the scenarios to give themselves more fascistic powers. And call it socialism, by the way. Socialism is for fascism, for those who can't quite figure it out at the time. Same, if it's signs and symptoms, that's how you describe a disease. Same thing with what you're seeing politically. You know? Authoritarian uh, systems forcing things on the public. That's, that's uh, in bed, of course, with big corporate uh, corporations who actually finance them, the left wing, including rioters, getting financed by the biggest corporations on the planet. The only corporations right now, actually, they're allowed to stay open, they're huh? financing them. And the other ones that give you the internet and other, other things they want, they're, they're addicted to. Well, we won't attack them, no. But these are the ones, but all the, all the little independent stores, family runs, are all destroyed, are getting destroyed. And not allowed to open and go bankrupt, eh? But no one, you know, and being attacked too by crowds in the streets. Eh? But the big ones, oh no, no. I've never heard of Walmarts getting, getting uh, burned down or whatever. And that's because those who, who are, are chosen and picked and trained to lead these riots, by the way, um, make sure that the followers, and they give them all instructions before they all go in, you know, uh, do uh, leave this, would leave that one alone and leave this one alone, but don't, he's the one to go after and blah. That's how it's, it's dealt with, obviously. Yeah. But yeah, it's the same system run. With uh, so fascism's always run in a public-private partnership deal, 
And nothing's changed, as you well know, with this one. And not only that's allowed to happen from even the, the, the top down, how can you possibly allow what would appear to be the overthrow of your system, at least in the societal level at the bottom, and your streets and your safety, um, how can you let it happen? And I give it no opposition at all, pretty well. Never mind how people who are mayors, etc., encouraging it all. That's generally called, at least, anarchy or treason, you know. But it's been allowed. So it's from the top. It's from the top. At least the structure at the very top this doesn't have to be just a president. It can also be the, the military complex around there, too. The ones that run everything and the intelligence agencies, for sure, are tied in with it. Because they know who everybody is. They, they know about all the programs they use to communicate with each other. They've got it all down pat. No one is, is they know who everybody is. <laughs> I don't care how many masks you wear, how careful they think. You, you, you cannot be careful enough in this day and age. They, they know who everybody is. And they have infiltrators through all their different organizations too. They're there from the beginning actually. You know, Because often it's the governments who set them up in the first place and fund them. Nothing is what it seems to be, you know, that, nothing at all. So going back into what I'm talking about, cut into the com, and uh, help me take along and look at all the websites I have listed there, my official websites. And I, I really mean it. Take notes of, of them in case the com goes down. Because these stage one, two, three, fours, and fives, and so on, all came out, as you well know. Um, and their, their programming before where they talked about how they would step up against people talking out against the COVID idea, etc., etc. It isn't just a COVID, it's everything. And they'll do this and, and eventually they'll start to, to literally ban them off the internet altogether, by the way. And uh, not just uh, before that, they'll, they'll try to stop the money getting to them, then ban them off the internet, and they arrest them if they continue somehow. All, all publicly declared. So it's um, like the event 201, etc. That's what they went through, all that kind of thing. So uh, it's all coming into play uh, until only the ones that are left are the ones that they want you to listen to that are the, are the fake ones, you see. The ones that are tolerated or, or that they run themselves. Because there's a lot out there that they do run. <laughs> Deception, eh? That's how intelligence agencies operate. Certain intelligence agencies actually have that in their, in their motto, but deception, as you well know. But that's the way it is. It's also trying to spin the blame off to other people, cause confusion, and even have others fighting other ones, you see, and never figuring out who's really behind something. That's how it's done. That, that again, it was a movie. It was, I think it was A Good Shepherd about the beginnings of the CIA coming out of the OSS uh, is quite interesting to, to look into. And get a little, get little bits and pieces of truth from them. The one I mentioned last week was awfully good, Edge of Darkness, the British, the British six-part series. Way more, it lets so much out of the bag, actually, which actually was true, uh, even right down to the politicians at the time, they used the right names, etc., they touch on the fact that uh, Britain under Thatcher was bringing in, and it was controversial at the time, uh, bringing in nuclear waste, 
they call it spent rods from other countries. It wasn't spent altogether, believe you me. And, uh, and then they could literally uh, dispose of them for other nations or replenish them, make them potent again, and sell them out again. Uh, so uh, it was very lucrative. And Britain was suddenly, it was like taking in the garbage of the world and getting big money going to these big contractors that worked with uh, the British government at the time. Margaret Thatcher was way up there with the military-industrial complex. Her son, Colin, I can remember when he went missing once, and they got the SES all over parts of uh, North Africa looking for him, trying to find him. But he himself was a, a gun-running for the big corporations based, uh, the headquarters based in the city of London. Big money again, getting paid big money to do it. And sometimes getting money directed from his mum <laughs> through the British government uh, for, for selling arms across the world and, and aircraft and, and so on. Very lucrative indeed. But all the big, um, all the big Khashoggi's and so on that were involved in government were all connected with them. You know, they all knew each other and worked with each other. But when Thatcher was in, I mean, she literally went to the big arms sales places and uh, helped sell the, the British uh, jets, etc. Like a salesman. Nothing is ever what it really seems to be, is it? And you have to really stand back and see how did they have the gall to do that? Well, they got the gall because they can. They do things because they can. Because the system that runs us all is pretty well untouchable for for most at the top. Who 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 is going to put anybody of any import on trial for anything at that level? You know, it doesn't happen. Never, it won't happen. You look at all these fake ones the U.S. has all the time. The, the, these puerile inquiries they go nowhere. Except into dead ends, which they're meant to, they're steered down, they're meant to go that way. Quite something. That's the world we live in, eh? So anyway, don't forget, cuttingthroughmates.com and help me take along. Because it's important. Because I really, you wouldn't believe how much work it does that that I put into all this kind of stuff. And 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 I tell a lot of, I could go on for hours and hours more per week, except I don't want to overload people altogether, because as long as you get the general idea with a few examples here and there, that's all you really need. Otherwise, you get bogged down and and, uh, you overload your mind. And I truly believe, just like Sherlock Holmes, you know, the fictional Sherlock Holmes, Arthur Conan Doyle's character, Talked about his attic. Your mind is an attic. And, and, and Sherlock would say, Well, I can only keep so much in my attic, he says, and sometimes I have to clean it out and get rid of the excess or the old excess to make room for the new. Because all you're doing is, is taking information, information, information all the time. And uh, it's more important you understand the purpose of the information, the purpose of what's happening as to where it's supposed to go in order to start preparing uh, for either bad times ahead, even worse, or ways to, to again, um, survive. And you, and you have to survive by being an individual. The one thing you don't want you to, to be is an individual, because you really have to start using a, a form of passive individual rights, you see, and say, I have rights. 
Uh, it doesn't matter what the rest of the public are doing. It, it doesn't matter what the rest of the public are doing. I hope you understand that. See, democracy that that is, is always misused and abused and mislabeled and definitely misunderstood. And they'll say, "Well, it's really, it's, it's really, um, it's really the, the herd thing, you know, and the bulk of the people." Uh, it's like mob mob rule, where the bulk of the people now think they're in control because they voted so and so, and 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 uh, and so they this rough right rough shot over everybody. And it's not that at all. It's the elite who know how to use the mob <laughs> that creates the mob in the first place, and then they use the mob. The mob only do what they're told to do. They're giving their opinions like everybody else is are giving their opinions, same opinions often. But the same uh, spinners out there, the ones that spin it to you. But the one thing that they don't want is individuality. They keep saying it over and over, that's the enemy of their big plan. For peace and safety and security across the world is the end of individualism. Yeah. But it's the only safety you have. It's the same, why should I do what the rest are doing? I've got this, this, is that some, if they all start cutting each other's heads off, should I start doing the same thing too, you know? Really, look at the farce with face masks. And you can always tell who watches TV, because they're, they're even wearing it in their cars now. They believe what they've been told. Like, don't, don't ever take it off. I think they must sleep with it too. Hmm? They got everybody so terrified with incredible manipulated propaganda and indoctrination, repetitive indoctrination by psychologists, teams of them and marketers, ones who can market ideas across to you using psychological techniques and behaviorism shameless, evil people I mean you can dream you can always dream through terrible times like wishful thinking that one day there'll be a reckoning and you could have all these tyrants, as I say, faces on billboards like rogues galleries, big, big billboards of every one of them, right down to the, the people who really wrecked the National Health Service, as an example, and profited from it too, as they were doing it by the millions, billions actually. And, uh, and the politicians who pushed this COVID idea, and all the professionals in the field who are profiting off it, who add their weight to the credence of the whole idea. Oh yeah, it's out there and it's really horrible and you'll have to take the shot and all its shares in the corporations and they're going to give you the shot, see? It's not disgusting. Never mind the folk who have died because they can't get into hospitals during that whole time. Folk dying of heart attacks. There's one article I was reading there and it's from a, a guy talking about the very thing and it was in Britain. Yeah, it was, it was, in, it was in UK. And as one of the sons of, of this man who died, he had a heart attack. They called the ambulance service. That was, I think, in the death of National Health Service. And the National Health Service now has a lot of private contractors. There's ambulances and so on. And the first ambulance comes and they pull out the defibrillator. It's never been used before. It's the second hand one that the company had bought. And go to try it, it doesn't work. Hadn't even been tested. 
So they call another ambulance. They're told to phone the fire brigade. So they phoned the fire brigade because they have better ones. By the time they came, uh, you know, the guy was dead. And the doctor, the GP at least, had put on it that, that he said that this man could, would have probably lived if the, if the right equipment had come when it was supposed to come. Well, look at all, all the ones who've been, that they've actually been told to stay at home having heart attacks during this whole COVID idea. And the folks who had literally small primary tumours who you couldn't get in to get cancer treatment. And if you get a small primary there, it's much better to lop off that little you know, primary. You've got far more chance of surviving if it's not spread. But by the time months go by and months go by, it's all through their body. All these characters have done they should their faces should be up in lights. Rogues, rogues, rogues. To suffer and be charged for the evil they've committed here and are still committing. And those at the very top of governments who are in collusion with the private corporations who work with the, the global reset idea for completely restructuring global society and running people from birth to death in a, a, in a form of austerity for sustainability as they depopulate step by step. They should all be tried, at the very least tried, huh? and imprisoned at the very least, and their faces put up for shame forever in the rogues gallery. All of them. All of them. It isn't just that, that evil prospers when good people do nothing. It isn't just that. It's just that there's no system built up to take these folks to justice. Now there's a problem. Now here's an article here which should help people ponder at least a little bit <laughs> as to what's going on with uh, this whole uh, Fauci idea. Maybe almost call him a Faustian idea, hey, Fauci. To do with his claims right off the bat that the only way that uh, you'd go back to work and be allowed to out your homes. Back in February, I think in March, you said this. Was would be with, with a vaccine because that was always the agenda that they, they'd agreed upon years ago that they'd 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 be using uh, if they ever had a, a pandemic, okay? and they had agreements signed with governments. I've got them all here where they they drafted them, the government signed them. The government would definitely buy their vaccines uh, as an incentive to produce vaccines. The governments would definitely buy vaccines, really invest heavily. Uh, to make sure that they, they would, wouldn't just uh, give up on vaccines altogether, be non-profitable. <laughs> what a joke that is. Eh? So anyway, um, here's an, a, a possibility here. This is from the WHO, World Health Organization, a memo from 1972. Right? It ties in with what Fauci and all the other characters who are involved with these big bio labs do. Because these are really bacterial warfare laboratories. That's what they used to be. Before they, they, they said, oh, we've got, to, we've got to ban all these laboratories. And Well, we're just, we're just there now to, to, 
to make vaccines, just to study these things, in case these these vaccines should jump on their own and become highly pathogenic to, towards public. We'll, we'll make it happen, you see, with the stages it would have to go through itself. You know, the gain of function, as I say. Well, of course, it's, they're still biowarfare labs. Of course they are. And these scientists are all biowarfare experts. There's no doubt about it. Well, we're not doing it right now. We're, we're doing it to, to help people right now. Yeah, right. So 1972, they were talking about how, how they could turn vaccines into a means of killing. This is the World Health Organization, right? This is um, two key memorandums from the World Health Organization discovered by Patrick Jordan prove that the WHO has intentionally created a three-shot killer vaccine that people in the USA and other countries could soon be forced to take. See? It says, in 1972, WHO Bulletin 47, number 2, memo number 1 and 2, virus-associated immunopathology states, Animal models and implications for human disease technically outline the ability to create biological weapons in the form of vaccines that first totally disable the immune system. Number two, load every cell of the victim's body up with infection. And three, switch the immune system on, causing the host to kill itself in a cytokine storm. So these who memoranda describe the three-stage impact of the three shots. Maybe people will be forced to take this autumn. That's the one that wanted the three shots, isn't it? This time, isn't it? This coincidence, eh? From the same group of people who work with the WHO, eh? But again, too, don't forget that memorandum that came out as well. Uh, and and to, for the Department of Defense in the United States of America, I remember it came out. And it's when the AIDS broke out initially, and some people really scoured their records of requisitions and things and, and bills that were put through. And one of them that was put through in the state was, was for, um, I think it was even the guys involved, like Gallo and so on, but it, it, it somehow involved them. But it, it said that um, the Department of Defense was looking for a possible bioweapon they could destroy the immune system. And that, that was all published at the time. I've still got articles here somewhere in hard copy, you know, about all of that. So that all came out at the time, because that was a definite, it wasn't a surmisation or a speculation. It, uh, it actually, it was an official thing the Department of Defense and the U.S. Pentagon had put out a requisition for something to be created that could be used as a bioweapon. Destroying the immune system. So this is not so far-fetched, this article, regardless of how seriously you want to take it. It's up to yourself. But uh, three shots, you know, one to disable, one to, to open up to infection, and number three, uh, to cause a cytokine storm, of course. And it says, um, whose long-term genocidal intentions that could stand in any court of law because these memorandums give the, be- the best and fullest explanation of the WHO's affiliated labs, such as Centers for Disease Control's CDC's current activities. They're patenting of the most lethal bird flu viruses. And that's true. <laughs> You're putting patents on them. They're sending uh, that virus to Baxter's subsidiary in Austria, which weaponized it and sent it out to 72 kilos of it out to 16 laboratories in four countries, almost triggered a real global pandemic. I think one was caught in Czechoslovakia, I think. 
uh, and someone did test it there and found that there was a live virus they put in the vaccine. It says for every t- uh, crime there needs to be a motive, an indication that it was deliberate and that it was planned. And the WHO memorandums provide the evidence of just that deliberate long-term planning to kill people by weakening their immune systems by use of the first vaccine, injecting a live virus into their body by a second, and creating a fatal silicon storm using the squalene in a, in a third. Uh, and squalene is a, an adjuvant that's meant to try to attract a bigger blood supply to the area of inoculation or vaccination. And squalene's one type that they use. There's other ones, too. They're all really nasty. In fact, you've read, I'm sure, the reports of the ones, uh, the so-called volunteers that took uh, the Moderna one uh, in trials, that is. And some of them literally couldn't move their arms for days. Some they made up in hospitals. And so on. So uh, good luck if you want to take this stuff, believe you me. Uh, and apart from that, too, his next CDC uh, governor, what do you want to call the guy, executive or head, actually, who who said that recently that he he, he really doesn't believe they're going to have a, a workable vaccine, and uh, and that there's already already too many variations of this particular one virus uh, to be even workable. And he, and he said it'd be the same as any other. A flu vaccination, which is literally a guess. Does it work or does it not? He said it'll be, they'll say that 50% of the time it works and 50% it doesn't. And there was a toss of a coin. So there you go. And apart from that too, he, this particular guy said that, 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 the, that literally the, the inserts, the, the, the actual protein inserts that's put onto this particular one might make it impossible to have a vaccine that works. Because the history of this particular coronavirus is a horror story in itself. As we know, that's why so much work went in after, after it was exposed that, uh, that you had Fauci <laughs> uh, agreeing for the, that the, the virus that was created, the coronavirus, was set off to the lab at Wuhan and the, and the financing of the Wuhan lab too, the whole bit, so they could do the gain of functions and make it more lethal over there. Um, because they admitted that it could be, it, it'd be, it'd be catastrophic if it was released in the States by mistake. So they actually had the, the Chinese do it in Wuhan lab. That's what came out. Well, after that, they, you saw their massive retaliation. Oh, and of course, the talking heads came out. No, no, no. It developed in nature by itself now. Suddenly, it's, it's, they've completely reversed all the different information. And uh, this is how they do it in these psychological operations, eh? and uh, with artificial intelligence. Again, go back to Millie Weaver's documentary uh, with Tora, the woman, Tora, her, his name she's using, to explain all, how it all happens. But uh, the fake news, they, they, they run all the fake news stuff, <laughs> these intelligence agencies, submitted in the documentary. So anyway, yeah, um, these are bio-warfare programs that we're dealing with here. And um, this makes more sense here. That's, again, the three-stage plan of vaccinations they want to give the general public. You always find, they'll, they'll tell you, this not, just to get the shares in, to, get, to, make, to make their millions and billions, and all the companies that have come out with vaccines have done the same thing. They, they always tell you right off the bat, oh, their initial tests have, have showed, showed positive um, 
reaction uh, with antibody stimulation in all the, the, the volunteers. But the problem lies with vaccinations, especially this kind of... This is, remember, this is an RNA-type vaccination here to alter your, your epithelial linings of your lungs for, for permanently, huh? for good. And bioengineer you... Huh? The, the the biggest problem always is is that once you're exposed to that the real or a different kind of associated virus, but the one that's supposed to be for or an associated type virus, virus very similar to it, you have you have this massive cytok- cytokine storm. They'll kill you. It's a vac- Sometimes they'll camouflage it too in their terminology: vaccine enhanced respiratory response. That's a lethal response. <laughs> this is what they're talking about there. And um, they don't want that, you see. But that's what often happens after the... But they won't come out with that information until they've made a fortune. Um, not just the money they're given from government, which is incredibly ludicrous, the amount of it. Uh, it's easy enough to conjure up a vaccine, but, but it's, it's what happens afterwards, you see. Once you're exposed to real viruses out there, associated viruses, that's where your problem kicks in. So, yeah, it's like the operation was a success, but the patient died. Same with the vaccine. So, anyway, I'll put this article up and let you peruse it for those that want to do some perusing. This one is from the Harvard Gazette. Eh? This is awfully important, Harvard Gazette. Another closed shop for the, run by the, the folk that helped to rule, <laughs> along with Yale. It's called Cheap Frequent COVID Tests, because they're all on in the action, get the money. Could be akin to a vaccine, professor says. And um, this article is about selling test kits, basically, and have you constantly test yourself, maybe daily even, right? Every, every crook on the planet is in on the act here to get money, profits off, off the peasantry. So a Harvard epidemiologist and expert in disease testing uh, is calling for a shift in strategy towards a cheap daily do-it-yourself test that he says can be as effective as a vaccine at interrupting coronavirus transmissions. In other words, if you can catch it early enough in you, then you'll, you'll quarantine yourself. That's the idea behind it. What, what a lot of nonsense. I've got to say this off the bat, by the way. I keep because this, this is what we all know. With all kinds of flus or viruses out there, right, and coronaviruses, vaccine has never conquered them. Never. The so-called Spanish flu. That there's never been a vaccine created to fight that. AIDS doesn't have a vaccine that works. So. How we'll get through most things, most viruses, like, like the flu viruses and things, is we build up what's called herd immunity ourselves, without any help. And as always, we all get to the stage, we at a certain age, we're all vulnerable to die from flu. Although, in this day and age, they can certainly give the right good treatments to help you pull through it and get over it. But if you've got comorbidities, that you, your heart, if your heart's packing in and your organs are dying on you, Anyway, without the flu or COVID, uh, then, and that's another con too with the COVID, we're dying off with lots of things. But if they, if they say you you're also had COVID or positive tests for COVID, 
Uh, they put down as a COVID death. They padded everything as COVID. They even have no symptoms at all. So, uh, to about racketeering uh, and chronology. Mm-mm-mm. Again, put their faces on the on the rose gallery for all to see for eternity. But you want herd immunity. We've always built up herd immunity because children generally will spread it. That's how it used to be always spread by children. They come home from school and then the parents will start having coughs and sneezes and maybe a few pains and aches and they'd have a, a few days uh, of the flu or whatever it was. And you get over it. That's how things work, you see. And before you know it, and viruses spread so quickly through society, you'll never notice some most of the most of the public never get signs and symptoms of it, of these things. Why sometimes you'll get you'll get it yourself, and you, and, and other times you don't, and other folk you, who even healthy and you will get it someday. You don't get it. We don't know yet. You know, it's, it's particular strains, etc. Hit us different ways and different uh, gene types. But the thing is. You want herd immunity. This is the first one in history they've tried to stop herd immunity so they can give you a vaccination. You're yet in the picture. Massive money, massive profits, and really, anyone who takes, you take your life in your hands by allowing them to, to, to use experimental vaccines. Never mind the horror that happened with the swine flu one, you know, some years back. And the one in 2009 too, and folk, people were getting paralyzed, and, and children were getting narcolepsy and all the rest of it. A little oops thing. And believe you me, they always just gloss over it as though it's nothing at all. These, co- these corporations and the quacks that work with them. Mm-hmm. They're about psychopaths, eh? So, what I'm going to say is it's the first time in history they've tried to stop herd immunity happening. Lockdowns stop herd immunity. Otherwise, we'd all have been exposed to it long, long ago. And it'd be just the same as today. Most folk would never have known they had it. It wouldn't matter. You wouldn't have to know. But you'd have immunity, you see. Now, the con with the testing is oh, we need more testing. Well, if you have 10,000 more tests, you're guaranteed X amount of folk that'll come back positive. If you've had any cold or, or, or flu or even shots in the last few years for the flu, you'll, you'll often show up as positive for the coronavirus. If you've been near anybody that's had it, because a lot of folk still give off fragments, especially the swab test. The swab test, as opposed to the blood test, the swab test will pick up fragments of uh, the virus. You see, fragments, not the whole virus, but the fragments of it. The, the, it could be it could been dead weeks ago, but you still give off fragments of it. You see, but, but you'll test positive because that's what it's designed to pick up as fragments of, of the RNA and DNA here. So it's a joke. But if you've, been, if you've been in the same room with someone who's given off fragments, you'll test positive because you breathe the fragments in. But apart from it, the test itself, and I've been through it so many times by the inventor of it, the swab test, said it's not meant, it's not meant to be a diagnostic tool. It's so inefficient. You get false positives, false negatives. It's pretty well useless. So getting back to my point, you're supposed to get herd immunity. 
And most, and they'll give you the scariest, oh, another 3,000 have tested positive. It was because they put maybe another 10,000 tests out that day, you see. That's the only reason for it. So amongst all these false positives and false negatives, some people, and a politician last week found it too, he, he got tested before he got on the plane. It was, it was negative, they said. He arrived in his destination in another state in the U.S., and they gave him a test, and he was positive. And that evening, they gave him a test that he was back to negative again. They're utterly useless. This is common. Remember, the whole thing is a designed hoax for a bigger pro- program. It's a massive program of a completely redesigned way of living. Post-democratic, etc., you see. So anyway, think about it. If every week they're testing more folk positive, and 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 literally within about eight days, it's over and done with, right? and generally sooner. What's happened to all those folk that's accumulating all, for months and months? They were tested positive. Well, they're now immune to it. That's they're not telling you that they died. No, most of them never even went to hospital. You're forgetting, it's not just added to, to this limbo state. They're all stuck in limbo here with COVID. No, no, they got over it and now they're immune to it. They've got antibodies. If they didn't develop antibodies, they'd be sick with it and, and become sick with it. But they haven't become sick with it and they got over it. If they got over it and went negative, it means they've got antibodies in their body to kill it. <laughs> which is the whole point of what the supposed vaccines is meant to do. Well, you, you develop it yourself naturally, and that's a good thing. So you should allow it to spread. Absolutely. You can take care with the elderly and so on, and keep them away from, from groups and so on. But for the general population, spread it. And once it's, a, a, it's 80% in the population, they say, it's, it's, sometimes they say it's smaller. Once they've all, they've all had it, and they're immune to it, the virus dies off. So then, the old, then the elderly are safe. This is not rocket science. This isn't a novel idea I'm talking about. This is standard. Yeah? There's never been such a war propaganda exercise continuing. It's begun and continuing like this ever in history. It's a massive war campaign. I hope you understand that. For a whole new way of living. So yeah, you want antibodies to develop. And then you can say to your vaccine maker, get stuffed, I'm already immune. And that's it, you see. The point is to get this stuff in you <laughs> and to give you an immunity passport. I, I, can, I did the talks years ago about this idea that they're now calling it immunity passport. I said you wouldn't get into a store to get groceries. Alarms would go off if, if you weren't up to date with your vaccines. I said that back in the 90s. And here you are. Big business, massive business, massive control and conformity. Well, if you want to eat, you gotta, you got you got you got to have this app with you all the time now, or you got to have a bracelet on you, an electronic bracelet, like a convict, a manacle. There you go. The Pharisees are unbelievable. When, when they couldn't sell you all this, this this stuff through sustainability and the climate change, oh, i got to change the way we're living because of climate change. 
and sustainability. Alan Murray Strong, you know, the the different um, sustainability programs he pushed out on behalf of the Rockefeller and the Council on Foreign Relations and the Trilateral Commission, the Rio de Janeiro meeting that they had. Yeah. To change the way we live and bring us into austerity and poverty, basically, and depopulation. All they had to do was find a way to enforce it whilst the climate, you see, okay, that, that'll do. And the Club of Rome came up with that one, or paid handsomely to do so. And to depopulate. And who's the guy that had the population time bomb? It's Paul Ehrlich, back, way back when we're going, to see, it was going to, we're going to freeze to death to try that one. And, and who's on the Club of Rome was on the board was his wife. <laughs> it was just a small world, you know. Small world, isn't it? Too many people. That's always been their agenda. Yeah? Well, I think to my, myself, this is one way you reduce the population. So this article isn't uh, far-fetched, as I say, the last one I read. And then back to this Harvard one here, right? So he, he's trying to... They're all in on the action to make millions of dollars, eh? Let's have people to test themselves. They can bite themselves and and and, and test themselves every day, you know. Yeah. All these professors, even if they're, they're all on, on board with it. Anywhere they can get money off the, the, the gullible public, uh, they're on board with it all. Uh, shameless, absolutely shameless. And um, psychopathic, too. Again, the, the, you supplant the religious values that were at least tied closer to the, to the to home, to the ground, to the people. And uh, and, you, and you supplant it and put it pure materialism and profit and riches and psychopathic personalities run the thing at the top and then the ones beneath them and the, including the academics uh, are, are often psychopathics too and uh, and then the people at the bottom copy the psychopathic uh, person they copy it they can't emulate it completely but they still have to, they start to adopt the values of the psychopath. And then you end up with a psychopathic culture. And life is cheap. That's what it's very, very cheap. Now, here's another one, too. The U.S. is developing coronavirus strain for human challenge trials. I'm kidding, eh? And so it says, uh, U.S. scientists are developing a strain of the coronavirus that could be used to deliberately infect volunteers and so-called challenge studies, the government agencies said Friday. The work is preliminary, and the government is continuing to prioritize randomized clinical trials of vaccine candidates. The National Institute for Allergies and Infectious Diseases said that's Fauci's area. Several of these have entered their final stages, including the vaccines developed by Moderna, Pfizer, and AstraZeneca. But the National Institute for Allergies and Infectious Diseases, that's Fauci again, has nonetheless begun efforts to manufacture a strain, that's his area of course, is by a word, a strain that could be used to develop a human challenge model, if needed, it said in a statement. In normal clinical trials, in normal trials, the volunteers receive either a medicine or a placebo, and their health is then followed over the course of months of, of years. The scientists looked for how well the vaccine or treatment worked when the person was naturally exposed to the pathogen. 
because the way to test where a drug worked is by deliberately infecting volunteers, as has been done in the past for influenza, malaria, typhoid, dengue fever, and cholera. In the U.S., obviously, groups like um, One Day Sooner support challenge studies for COVID-19, but the subject is controversial because of how serious the disease can be and because its effects aren't fully understood. The NIAID said it would probably reach a decision towards the end of 2020 when the late-stage clinical trials that are underway start reporting the results. It will help to determine whether challenge studies are needed, safe and ethical, it added. David Dimart, the director of George Washington University's Vaccine Trial Research Unit, who is also who is overseeing a trial of Moderna's vaccine in the U.S. capital, told AFP he did not think the challenge trials were appropriate for COVID-19. I think they are a critical tool, but only under the right circumstances. He said, Dimart is himself a leading is leading a challenge trial until a hookworm vaccine. I guess we would try to straighten it out, eh? He says, but he said that for COVID-19, we don't have a very clear understanding of who is at risk of developing severe disease, and we have no treatment that is guaranteed to cure someone if they do develop severe disease. And that's not quite true, actually, that last part there. There's also enough widespread community transmission in the U.S., the worst hit country in the world. <laughs> It's, not, it's because it's the mode of what they decide to treat them with, sticking something down your trachea, and, which means putting you in a coma and causing a lot of heart attacks in the process. That's the, that's the difference there. Plus, they wouldn't give you the one drug that's been promoted across the world. I can't say it, because they'll ban me altogether. I'm almost banned totally right now. And, uh, and we all know what's going on, too. Of course we do. The worst hit country with the 5.3 million confirmed cases. Confirmed cases? Is that just tests? Or is that folk who've had it and go over it? See, they don't even clarify that to the public. It's meant to terrify. Oh, there's 5.3 million confirmed cases. To mean challenge trials are not necessarily added. Our goal is to create a safe and engaging place for users to connect over interests and passions. In order to improve our community experience, we're temporarily suspending article commenting. <laughs> I would only comment on this whole thing. In the meantime, we welcome your feedback to help us enhance the experience. What dribble is this to enhance the experience? What experience? Huh? You won't let the folks say, <laughs> you won't let the folks have their say in, in this complete con, this farce that we're living through here. Yeah. A safe and engaging place for you to connect over interests and passions. Temporarily suspending RTL commenting. Mm. We're going to want your feedback to help us enhance the experience. Oh, what dribble. Oh, hogwash. Uh, this is the kind of stuff they prattle on about these TED conferences, you know. That every, everything's emotive nonsense. A third of National Health Service staff in two hospital units were infected with coronavirus without showing symptoms, the study finds. This is in Britain again. And uh, I'm sure they'd find it everywhere. They really looked hard enough. So the new studies highlight the number of national services who can, who can be infected with coronavirus but be completely unaware they're at risk to their colleagues. And this is like the general population don't know how to do this because they're healthy. 
The research by doctors at University College London Hospitals found a third of the staff worked working in two maternity departments at UCLH and St. George's Hospital tested positive for the virus but had no symptoms. One in six staff who had not previously been diagnosed with the virus were tested for COVID-19 antibodies and were found to be positive for infection. See, this wording is telling you good stuff here. But it sounds confusing to the people it's meant to be. It says, tested for COVID-19 antibodies. That's blood tests. And were found to be positive for infection. But how they should have worded it is, and were found to have positive of having, having had the infection. You see how this is, everything is written to terrify people. If you had the antibodies, you fought off the infection. Of those who, who, of those who had the antibodies, almost 60% had neither a cough or fever, which meant they continued to work and to commute to hospital, potentially spreading the virus. Well, that's how all herd immunity happens. So here's the whole thing. Asymptomatic healthcare workers, says the university uh, professor Keith Neal, University of Nottingham. Asymptomatic healthcare workers with COVID-19 pose a risk of spreading the virus depending on this personal protective equipment in use. We know many cases were acquired in hospital. Hmm. So regular testing of healthcare workers is clearly warranted, he says. Hmm. There you go. And I remember, too, doing maybe a couple of months ago, how uh, many folk in the National Health Service in Britain had died. And, and that there was definitely a strong correlation. In fact, most of them were from outside the country, in different ethnic groups. Most of them were really overweight. You should see the, how, how overweight they were. And, and diabetic and things like that. These were the folk in the staff. And a lot of them, by the way, that they, they put in there had retired years ago. If you really you have to look at the small print at the end to find that out, because everything is a con to exaggerate everything. Lots of them literally had died years, you know, uh, had been retired years ago and then died. So, uh, I can't believe the chronology that's going on with it, to, to terrify the public, though. Imagine putting folk in that died years after retirement and try, try to pretend it was all National Health Service personal dying. Oh. I'll put up, to an article that's from Germany. And it's an association of doctors now who, that, who are calling it the Corona Extra uh, Parliamentary Inquiry Committee. And uh, the ACU, they say, Parliament does not uh, do it. We, the citizens, are called upon to do it ourselves. As the Corona Extra Parliamentary Inquiry Committee, we will investigate why these restrictive measures were imposed upon us in our country as part of COVID-19, why people are suffering now, and whether there is proportionality of the measures of this disease caused by the SARS-CoV-2 virus. We have serious doubts that these measures are proportionate. This needs to be examined, and since the parliaments, neither the opposition parties nor the ruling parties, which tells you a lot, you see, have not convened a committee and it's not even planned, it's high time that we took this into our own hands. We will invite and hear experts here in the Corona Speakers Group, and uh, these are experts from all areas of life, medicine, social affairs, law, economics, and many more. 
And he, he mentioned some of the doctors that are involved in this because you can't leave it to the politicians who are all on the take, by the way, of the big corporations that are involved to make billions of them. And apart from that, they're all, it's a big agenda. And this is just the, the, the cover to push it all through, as we, as we well know. Right? And uh, I'll put this up. This, this is a PDF. It's about six pages, I think. And they, they go through a lot of the stuff here. Um, Tom, but uh, the, the fallout from it too. But this is according to an eternal report from the Federal Ministry of the Interior. 90% of all necessary operations in Germany were not carried out. 90%. That's the same probably in Britain and elsewhere, which affects 2.5 million people. This report also writes that there are, are or will be 5,000 to 125,000 deaths resulting from these government measures. These are human beings, fellow citizens who've already died or are still dying. This report was dated May the 7th, 2020, the one they're reading from. This is also the reason why we are now taking this corona investigation into our own hands, because we can no longer wait. And there'll be the, the gross negligence of uh, government agencies not disclosing these things and, as it seems, orchestrates them because the scientific data already shows that there is no basis for these measures. We all ask ourselves, of course, uh, also in business, but this is mainly about human lives. Who benefits? That's a question we will try to find answers to. Who benefits? And the different doctors putting their, their bit forward in this PDF here. But, uh, yeah, they all know it's, uh, the, the measures are getting carried out. Total lockdown, wrecking the economy, uh, getting folk on food stamps every, across the planet pretty well on rationing, and worse to come for something that doesn't nowhere near warrants it. Hmm? But again, it's a big agenda, right? Also, I'll put up a, a link to a, a video when... I've mentioned before the, the article that came from um, the, the Rockefeller uh, um, report that came out in 2010, I think it was, to do with the coming innovations in science and the rest of it, where they talk about a pandemic breaking out. You know, but uh, I'll put up a PDF where a, a person at the time, I think 2012, maybe or about then or something, not quite certain, but he put it, uh, it as a documentary he was on, talking about this, and they're calling it lockstep. And this is what they had in the Rockefeller report on how they would manage it, right? Listen to this. It was 2012, it was, you know, or, or 10, I think they put out the, the article out. So. And it says, in 2012, the pandemic that the world had been, the right so it had happened, you see, from the Rockefeller report with all the folk on board. They now are called bioethicists. And they put out another report out recently, how they were going to manage it all inside America, the bioethics, and right down to who would live and die. Eh? So 2012, the pandemic that the world had been anticipating for years finally hit, unlike 2009's H1N1, another non-pandemic. <laughs> this new influenza strain originating from wild geese was extremely virulent and deadly. Even the most pandemic-prepared nations were quickly overwhelmed when the virus streaked around the world. Just like that, you see. And it could your goose. The United States' uh, initial policy of strongly discouraging citizens from flying 
proved deadly in its leniency, accelerating the spread of the virus not just within the U.S., but across borders. However, a few countries did fare better, China in particular. Isn't it following the same agenda that actually happened in reality here? The Chinese government's quick imposition and enforcement of mandatory quarantine for all citizens, as well as its instant and near-hermetic sealing off of all borders. And China's government was not the only one that took extreme measures to protect its citizens from risk and exposure. During the pandemic, national leaders around the world flexed their authority and imposed airtight rules and restrictions from the mandatory wearing of face masks to body temperature checks at the entries to communal spaces like train stations and supermarkets. Even after the pandemic faded, this more than uh, this more authoritarian control and oversight of citizens and their activities struck and even intensified in order to protect themselves from the spread of increasing global problems, both uh, from pandemics and transnational terrorism <laughs> at the same time. Eh? To environmental crisis and rising poverty, leaders around the world took a firmer grip on power. There you go. At first, the notion of a more controlled world gained wide acceptance and approval. Now remember, this, this is, uh, this is uh, what they said could happen in a pandemic when it broke out back then, eh? years ago. And they're writing in the past tense, like a story. So, so citizens widely give up some of their sovereignty and their privacy to more paternalistic states, uh, to paternalistic, in exchange for greater safety and stability. There you go, safety and stability. Yeah. Do you remember 9-11 happened? They, they went around the streets you know, with, with their microphones in their hands to get, to get a common uh, meme out to the public, you know. Uh, would you give up your rights and freedoms for, for security and safety? So here's this article here again, right? Uh, more, give up different uh, sovereignty and privacy, it says, to more paternalistic states in exchange for greater safety and stability. Citizens were more tolerant and even eager for top-down direction and oversight, and national leaders had more latitude to impose order in the ways they saw fit. In developed countries, uh, this heightened oversight took many forms, biometric IDs for all citizens, coincidence, for example, and tighter regulation of key industries whose stability was deemed vital to national interests. In many developed countries, enforced cooperation with a suite of new regulations and agreements slowly but steadily restored both order and, importantly, economic growth. Across the developing world, however, the story was different and much more variable top-down authority different forms in different countries, hinging largely on the capacity, caliber, and intentions of their leaders. In countries with strong and thoughtful leaders, citizens' overall economic status and the quality of life increased. In India, for example, air quality drastically improved after 2016, it says, when the government outlawed high-emitting vehicles. This is, remember, written in 2012 or whatever it was, or 10. And during giving up all these rights and freedoms and blah, 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 it hasn't mentioned death tolls of virus. It's like you've all forgotten about the virus already. (laughs) So it says, um, 
In Ghana, the introduction of ambitious government's programs to improve basic infrastructure and ensure the availability of clean water for all her people led to a sharp decline in waterborne diseases. But more authoritarian leadership worked less well, and in some cases, tragically, in countries run by irresponsible elites who used their increased power to pursue their own interests at the expense of their citizens, like like the, the, the politicians have got shares in pharma companies. And th- is that what they're talking about here, I'm wondering? Yeah. There were other downsides as a rise of virulent nationalism created new ha- uh, hazards. By 2025, people seemed to be growing weary of so much top-down control and letting leaders and authorities make choices for them. Wherever national interests clashed with individual interests, there was a conflict. Sporadic pushback became increasingly organized and coordinated as disaffected youth and people who had seen their status and opportunities slip away, largely in developing countries, and incited civil unrest. In 2026, protesters in Nigeria brought down the government, fed up with entrenched cronyism and corruption. Even those who liked the greater stability and predictability of this world began to grow uncomfortable and constrained by so many tight rules and by the strictness of national boundaries. The feeling lingered that sooner or later something would inevitably upset the neat order that the world's governments had worked so hard to establish. Remember, this is supposed to have started all... This whole idea started with... Um, a pandemic. Since the top-line pandemic, I've read all this, it has been mentioned again. Because it's all used as an excuse, remember? Huh? It's, it's all used as an excuse to make it all happen. So it says, so technology and lockstep, that's where they get the term lockstep from. Well, there's no way of actually predicting what the important technological advancements will be in the future. The scenario narratives point to areas where conditions may enable or accelerate the development of certain kinds of technologies. So they mention uh, in lockstep is government is focused on issues of national security and health and safety. Most technological improvements are created by and for developed countries shaped by government's dual desire to control and to monitor their citizens. No kidding, eh? In states with poor governance, large-scale projects that failed to progress abound. So total surveillance is, is a good thing, see? And scanners using advanced functional magnetic resonance uh, imaging um, technology will become the norm at airports and other public areas to detect abnormal behavior. They may indicate antisocial intent. This has all began with a with a pandemic, right? But never antisocial intent. In the aftermath of pandemic scares, smarter packaging for food and beverages is applied first by big companies and producers in, in a business to business environment, and then adopted for individual products and consumers. That's already been developed. I've got another article about that very thing there in food. New diagnosis developed to detect communicable diseases and the application of health screening also changes. Screening become a prerequisite for release from a hospital or prison. <laughs> it's the same thing now, a hospital, prison or home. <laughs> it's all the same. Successfully slowing the spread of many diseases. And telepresence technologies respond to demand for less expensive, lower bandwidth, sophisticated communication systems for populations whose travel is restricted. 
what is often surprising about new technology is collateral damage. The extent of the problem that you can create by solving another problem is always a bit of a surprise. It goes on and on and on. Technology and clever together. And clever together, that's the term they use, clever together. Strong global cooperation on a range of issues drives technological breakthroughs that combat disease, climate change, and energy shortages. Trade and foreign direct investment spread at technologies in all directions and make products cheaper for people in the developing world, thereby widening access to a range of technologies. The atmosphere of cooperation and transparency allows states and regions to glean insights from massive data sets to vastly improve the management and allocation of financial and environmental resources. <laughs> Intelligent electricity, water and distribution Again, it's all technocracy And transportation systems develop in urban areas And these smart cities' internet access is seen as a basic right By the late 2010s, it says <clears throat> Advances in low-cost mind-controlled prosthetics of global amputees who live in developing countries. Solar power, etc., etc. Rapid mobile payment systems. Well, the world is... Well, the developed world is hampered by entrenched banking interests and regulation. They want you to abandon lots of regulations and spy on everything you're doing. Absolutely. Even though they're already doing it all. But remember, too, I've done this, I put up these, um, the whole uh, lockstep thing before from the Rockefeller um, scenarios for the future of technology and international development. And the lockstep is part of it, of course, with the pandemic in it. But um, I put the whole thing up before, I'll probably put it up again tonight. For those who can really, you know, just go, go through it all. So remember, you're, you're living through agendas and scripts. They were done and agreed upon years ago by those in control. Amazon. Amazon lines up $10 billion for a satellite-based internet project. Coupier is called. Coupier. And um, so they're getting serious about space business coming shortly after Amazon Web Services' announcement last month to set up a new business unit dedicated to accelerating innovation in the global aerospace and satellite industry. It's now announced its intention to invest $10 billion for launching a low-Earth orbit, a LEO satellite constellation uh, called Project Cooper to eliminate uh, internet dark spots, specifically in the U.S. The whole point, too, is to surveil every inch of the planet so you can't get any peace no matter where you go. That's part of it, too. Of course it is. They'll tie in with the 5G, etc. There's, there's got so many satellites up there already, for goodness sake, that it makes a mess of the night sky. It's bad enough with the aerial spraying and the geo, the geo spraying. It goes on all the time. Engineering, the geoengineering, as they call it. And they admit since 2005, you've got global dimming. So at night, you can't even see all the stars really clearly anymore. And that's true. I can remember that was one of my hobbies is, is astronomy. And I used to love looking at the winter sky, far away from, from light pollution from cities and so on. Uh, but now, you, you see the brightest stars, the rest of them are just, just, it's never 
really clear anymore because of the geoengineering that's been going on. Which again they poo pooed with their, with all their, their disinformation experts the, 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 and these teams that, that hammer you for saying the truth and call you all cooks and all that's there's no geoengineering going on. As they're having meetings about it and, and disclosing what they're doing, they're still telling you, Oh no, we're not doing that. If you say it that is. But there you go. So anyway it says Bezos versus Musk with with the with the pretense that they're all in competition with each other, of course. For those who haven't figured that out yet, remember, hmm? it's quite something. But I'll put this link up too for those that want to peruse it if you can handle it. Eh? More surveillance. You know, though, it's with the strings of satellites we've been putting up recently by the the characters that we're supposed to believe are just geniuses. They're, they're, they're front people for big, huge businesses, naturally. And um, some of them even have their grandparents as technocrats. Grandparents were technocrats for some of them. Real technocrats, like they ran the system before they were kicked out to the countries. But uh, that's just coincidence too, isn't it? But then again, you go back into Donald Trump. And in Epstein, a whole lot of them, everyone is blackmailable at the top. That also came out during that documentary put out by Millie Weaver's group, they are, or whoever group they are, um, and uh, the Torah woman that uh, posted it. And as I say, take it with a pinch of salt or whatever you want to take it, but the fact is that the data inside it is, is factual. How you're literally, you couldn't believe how many agencies, governmental, and private are all working together with all of your data. Stuff you have no idea they have on you. Things that you don't even know yourself. Things you've even forgotten. They've got everything on you. And you help them along the way, mind you, by using all the electronic media you can possibly this, but I'll put like Facebook and so on. Just incredible, you know. It really is incredible. But yeah, when you start covering the sky with with these strings of satellites that they've been shoving up for the last few years there, it spoils it all. It really does spoil it all. And uh, and again, that's the price of progress. To say. You've got to just accept it and let your masters do what you want. Well, wait a minute here. Who says that these are our masters? And who says that they have the right to just spoil all the beauty that's in the heavens, for goodness sake? As I say, it was so beautiful to watch the heavens before they did the geoengineering and caused, caused what NASA now calls global dimming, <laughs> officially, yeah? and spawning the night sky. It's but the one escape you could really have away from all the man-made fiction that they, they, they deluge you with trying to get you to, that, that's your little tranquilizer to get away from all. But to, to, to look into the night sky was just, it was a holy experience. It truly was, absolutely. Until they caused the global dimming. And now you got strings of the, of the same characters that are put up there as, as your new gods, you see. And uh, it's their right to just to cover the sky with these satellites. Eh? Hmm. There you go. There's democracy in action, hey? Just like the, the idea with vaccinations, as I say, Trump signed the deal 
Moderna and, and Bill Gates and Gavi and the, and the whole group, one, one point one half billion dollars or something just to, to one of the companies and probably billions more to another. And Canada inks deal with Pfizer and Moderna too. This coincidence, so to prepare the nation. See how it's worded, though? To prepare the nation for mass vaccinations. There you are. Like it's a done deal? No, it isn't a done deal, you know. They can make as many vaccinations as they want, but before you see what it happened with H1N1 back in 2009 and the swine flus before, they ended up dumping millions of them because folk didn't want them because they were so unsafe from what came out from the side effects. It's luckily that the information spread quick enough and it was stopped, but... Uh, here they go. Canada recently announced that they signed a deal with Pfizer and Moderna to secure millions of doses of coronavirus vaccine when it's ready. And why is vaccine hesitancy... Again, there's the Yale one group jumping in. Vaccine hesitancy growing. Why is it growing? Eh? Should the freedom of choice always remain? Are people who refuse made out to be the bad ones as a result of mainstream media, government, big pharma, perception, manipulation... What happened? The Canadian government has linked, has inked a new deal with pharmaceutical giants Pfizer to secure tens of millions of doses of the new coronavirus vaccine in 2021, which is still currently in, in the developmental stages. Procurement Minister Anita Anand recently made the announcement after Pfizer tweeted news of the new deal, stating that we are increasingly focused on the next stage of a recovery, including preparing Canada for, for mass vaccinations. Really? Really? A private corporation eh, is going to get us ready for a recovery. Hmm. This is, so it comes shortly after the US government gave more than a billion dollars to Bill Gates' vaccine alliance called Gavi, which was co-founded by Bill and Melinda Gates. President Trump also signed a deal with Pfizer for 100 million doses of the COVID-19 vaccine. And it gives you the links to the other stories about it on this one site. Survey results released on Tuesday from the non-profit Angus Reid Institute found half of Canadians say that they have no reservations and are ready to get a COVID-19 vaccination as soon as it's available. But 32%, roughly a third of the respondents, say they're, they're likely to wait a while. It takes away, but look, you can't even believe statistics because they use statistics to lie to the public. That's how they do these polls when they came up with the Gallup poll and Angus report a long time ago, it was not to give you a truth, it's to try to sway the people by going with the majority. That's how people do it. They do, oh, well, if it's 70-odd percent, say, you know, maybe I should just go with that. That's how it works. It's, it's made-up nonsense to sway opinions, polls. Eh? So a lot of them say they'll let you wait. Um, Another 40% want to get a, don't want to get a vaccine at all. It's bigger than 14%, believe you me. <laughs> and this comes from CBC, a major mainstream media organization. It's a government media organization in Canada. <laughs> we should call it the Communist Broadcasting Corporation. So I do have a, a hard time trusting these numbers and personally feel the number of those who don't desire, desire the vaccine may be much greater than 50%. Blah, blah, blah. And of course, the mainstream media are on bed with the corporate, other corporations and, and, and with the government too. And Edward Snowden, is true enough, put out an article not long ago, said governments around the world are exploiting the pandemic to monitor us like never before. 
He and many others have been pointing out how society is moving fast towards an authoritarian type of existence, exactly like that uh, lockstep huh? from the Rockefeller uh, article 2010. And it's already here, the enforcement or, or advocacy of strict obedience to authority at the expense of personal freedom has been here for quite a while, and it's done in a very clever way, often hiding under the guise of goodwill or making people feel that they may be harming others if they do not comply. Well, that's exactly the tact that they said that they would have at the Yale, had the whole list of, of terms they would apply to make the herd, the general herd, turn on those that wouldn't go along. We've got to put these articles up for those who want to, again, continue to at least keep their minds active. You'll keep your mind active regardless. I've got to put, I might even put up the article again, too. It was um, it was a talk. You can actually see it on, on YouTube, I guess. It's a talk from, it was done at the EU, the European, uh, for the European Commission group that runs the Parliament. Uh, and these are all these characters who literally are all humanists and all applaud each other. And I mean humanists, secular humanists, and uh, real communists in a sense. Because true communism is, is and socialism is fascism. It, again, they want instant obedience. Uh, that's why I look at Russia, at present-day China. I said, you can come on here. This is the advanced kind of communism here. Where the folk jump and they do what they're told, or else there's no there's no complaints department there. Here we have complaints department. It just it it doesn't go anywhere. But uh, again, most folk never really quite figure it out, do they? They can't figure things out. Vaccine hesitancy, like like the like it's, it's normal to allow. Foreign objects and even dead material and even fetal tissue to be injected into your body. Why would it cause hesitancy, for goodness sake, okay? <laughs> Especially when you read so many of the folk who the trial, the trial vaccinations, which is not the strong dose yet, right? They'll still alter it again, right? And again and again. Uh, they're, they're always, a lot of them end up in the hospitals. Well, that inspires confidence. Why, why would you be hesitant, eh? Don't you want to feel sick and nauseated and, and have a nasty reaction, maybe seizures and, and paralysis and, and end up in a hospital? Why wouldn't you want that? Goodness sake. Uh, you, don't, you don't want your, your, your tissue and your lungs to be permanently altered, genetically altered, remade genetically. Uh, you're just against progress, eh? Now, in this documentary called in Vax We Trust, you'll hear these technocrats. They really run the commission, the European Commission, uh, in the specialist areas, as they say, talking about uh, ways to get the public to go along with things and uh, their propaganda, in their words. And they mention that they can insert uh, what they want the public to do to follow, wear masks and distance and so on, and insert them into dramas and fiction and entertainment which is a common practice for those who haven't figured it out yet. Most of what you, you, most of your indoctrination comes from fiction, because you're unaware that it's actually being uh, put right into your mind. Your, your firewall is down. Your 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 mind's firewall is technically down. You're not guarded about it at all. And it goes right into your mind, and that's where you get your opinions from. Inside one of Big Brother's location harvesting contractors which tracks hundreds of millions of phones. 
a Virginia-based software company founded by two U.S. military veterans with backgrounds in intelligence, here you go again, has been tracking hundreds of millions of mobile phones across the world, according to a document reviewed by the Wall Street Journal. The company, Anomaly 6, uh, 6 LLC, limited liability companies, draws locations, data from over 500 apps, partly through their proprietary software development kit, SDK, which they're paid to embed directly in some of the apps, which the company gets location data from partner providers. The SDK allows the company to obtain a user's location if they have allowed the apps in question to access the phone's GPS coordinates. App publishers often allow third-party companies for a fee to insert SDKs into their apps. The SDK maker then sells the consumer data harvested from the app and the app publisher gets a chunk of revenue. But consumers have no way to know whether SDKs are embedded in the apps. Most privacy policies don't disclose that information. Anomaly 6 says it embeds its own SDKs in some apps and in our cases gets location data from other partners. This is a Wall Street Journal. And SDK, it says, Anomaly, it says, 6 holds contracts with several branches of the U.S. government. No kidding. Although they, they told the journal that they, restri- they restrict the sale of U.S. mobile phone movement data to, to non-governmental private sector clients. Etc. Etc. And as the as journal notes, in the case of Anomaly 6, the direct collection of such data by a business closely linked to U.S. national security agencies is unusual. But it's a coincidence, for goodness sakes. Spying, spying. And you pay for it all, eh? To get your phones and stuff. You pay for all that. To give away your life and your, and your privacy. You... you <laughs> You pay for it. The Pentagon releases a huge slice of spectrum for 5G. The unprecedented collaboration between technocrats and the military establishment and their counterparts in the corporate world is in full display to empower the Internet of Things across America. This process is driven by the White House, and uh, this is put out by Technocracy News. After a remarkably fast, remarkably fast interagency review, the White House today announced a massive transfer of electromagnetic spectrum from military use to commercial 5G. It will be the fastest transfer of federal spectrum to commercial use in history. U.S. Chief Technology Officer Michael Kratzios told reporters proudly this afternoon, but Kratzios and Pentagon CIO Dana DC assured reporters ahead of the announcement that Russia won't compromise military readiness or operations. So the 100 megahertz of spectrum runs from 3,450 megahertz to 3550, so-called mid-band frequencies prized by 5G developers because they allow longer-range transmissions than the millimeter wave spectrum that makes up most of what's been available in the U.S. so far. And it goes on and on and on about the 5G, etc. And that's also why they're really hammering the Chinese for the Huawei um, model, you know. Because it's a massive business. 
massive. See, we're all here to get fleeced, understand that. And all these intelligence agencies and private contractors that work with them, and they're in and out of the intelligence agencies to the contractors back and forth, it's a revolving door, back and forth all the time to get around legalities. But they all make their money off of us. All, you know, that's what it is. All of it, masses of money. Masses and masses of money off of us all the time. And it's always got to be done through a, a, a fear project or a war or terror or a war off terror or a war on terror. Then they give us a war off terror on us. Our pandemics. But no matter what, you're all going to die unless you just give up all your rights and get fleeced and pay more and more taxes so this government can use them to pay all the security equipment and surveillance, etc., etc., etc. It's never-ending. And this is the normal now, you see, the new norm. So it's not going to ease up unless the public have enough and ditch their darn phones and everything else. And see, we're not going to use them until we have our own system. And has some real privacy, and folk who, who invade the privacy and try to exploit it will again be, join this massive wall of tyrants and villains, and the other faces everywhere, enemies of society. Which, of course, is what they're going to do against everybody who won't take their vaccines. You know, the, the Yale idea, they're getting paid millions again, are your tax money. Everybody lives off you, everybody. Live so well, like, and castles in the air, and we are stuck here down on the ground, eh? In the mud, with hardly anything left at all. As you lose your businesses, your savings, everything, to these monsters in this wonderful new utopia. They all live on our backs, like layers and layers of infestation of leeches and lice and ticks, always to, to help us and to save us from ourselves. Oh, I tell you, tyrants, 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 villains. Absolute villains, that's just what they are. It's so disgusting. But now that it is a new norm, and they won't have all the, the money for it, or, or, or the cold wars like they used to have, creating brand new missiles every week. Yeah. And saying it's because the enemy has got a better one than we have, and that the enemy winks at your your leaders and all wink together as they fleece us again for the night. Well, you see, now it's just live off our backs through crisis and terror. Yep, that's they want it forever. If you let them do it, they'll do it. No privacy for you. And this is what they're going to use to Yale, from Yale idea. You know, they were given the contract to find ways of of uh, turning the people against you if you won't go along with the herd. And they'll ostracize the ones who, who won't comply. So I'm not wearing a silly mask. It, it, it says on it, on the packets, it, it ain't going to stop COVID-19 coming in or going out. No matter what kind it is. Because the virus is supposedly so small, it won't even get through the 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 the, the, the ninety five mask N ninety five. So it's uh, never mind the, the dangers of of anoxia and the rest of it. I tell you, and epoxia, it's just horrible what's happening to people. 
through the biggest racketeering con ever devised for the new way of living, you know, the arm-flapping Ted Tuckers. Let's all get excited about this brave new world. Hmm? And how much money they're going to make of us. <laughs> so what they'll use is how bad you are against society, you see. When the communists or the Bolsheviks took over Russia, and brought in communism, we call it communism, although they themselves called it the Union of Soviet Socialist Republics. Because there's no difference between socialists and the goals of it to communism, for those who have never figured that out. And a lot of working class folks simply think it's not the same. But again, you can go into the writings of and the sayings and even the document, the documents that were or docu- documentaries that are put out by guys like George Bernard Shaw, who said, you, you, those who follow us are in for a fright, he said, when they think is, they're going to get more money to bring home to their families, like the men. And he says, no, no, he says, he says, this isn't to help you, this is to get the women out to work too, and to increase the tax bases, etc., etc. You know, you know, oh no, it's not to help your family, they want to end the family. <laughs> well, there you go. But when the Bolsheviks took over, they... They immediately turn on on the, the opposition, you see, as counter-revolutionaries. So they're the revolutionaries, and, and anyone who wants to keep the, the old system going uh, is called a, a counter-revolutionary. So you have to eliminate and slaughter all the counter-revolutionaries, even for thinking it, you see. And... Uh, that's, that's what always happens but by the tyrants. They always have to paint their target, the, the dissidents in their population, with a nasty term that becomes more solidified as time goes on, just by repetition. And sometimes they'll put little you know, yellow stars on you to, to, just to make you stand out, so they always know who you are. And of course, with the COVID idea, that they only give you bracelets if you won't even take a cell phone app, etc. You wear a manacle around your ankle, around your wrist, and um, and you can't move to more than 200 feet from your home, apparently, you know, without it setting off a signal. And uh, this is what your health, and so-called leaders, I don't have a leader, I don't believe in leaders you know, when it comes to health, I've got a good idea with health as myself, and uh, I will not go by tyrants who advocate technology to stigmatize people who have a mind of their own and who are not endangering anybody in an age where, where in a time which is this COVID idea, is, there's nothing new about it really at all when it comes to uh, the supposed deadliness. It's not as deadly as they're making out at all. And if you stop sticking uh, the, the ventilators down the tracheas of people in hospitals, a form of routine here, uh, they wouldn't have the death rate happening from it. And again, too, they're putting everybody down. In their 80s, most were in their 80s and 90s who are dying of it. And they're dying already, you see. It's not of it. They're dying alongside it. They probably don't have any symptoms from the COVID themselves, even though they'll test positive. It's their kidneys are packing in, and their heart packs in, etc. Because that's what happens when we get old. But facts don't matter when you're padding the numbers for a big agenda. 
But they'll stigmatize people again. It wouldn't be, it wouldn't, it wouldn't be counter-revolutionaries. That what they'll call you is an expert. You're an enemy of the people. And that's what's coming from Yale. That's the next step. You're an enemy of the people. You're going to make folks sick. Whereas the reality is, if they all take the vaccinations, then they're safe, aren't they? So why, why are they bored about you? You don't want to be harming yourself then when the rest of them all take the vaccination. The facts don't matter, folks. It doesn't matter. <laughs> really. And it's, it's a multi-billion dollar uh, fantastic scheme for profits annually. Because, you see, they're not going to get rid of it. Just like they could never get rid of the flus either. And so they want annual vaccinations, you see. It's a, it's a, this is a great... You can imagine that the guy is selling the sales pitch to the investors, and they say, roll up, roll up, you know. A sure winner here. The governments are going to mandate you. They get vaccinate their populations mandatorily every year. Roll up, roll up, invest here. Yeah. Ah, dear, 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 dear. Yeah. mm mm now, for those who have suffered me this far, I'll just mention once again, very briefly, to go into cuttingthroughthematrix.com and get the books and discs I sell there, or donate straightforward donations and help me tick along, cuttingthroughthematrix.com. Awfully important, folks, because as I say, I'm not selling anything else. I'm not selling you. I'm not even selling you good news here. I'm just selling you the facts. And I'd, I'd tell you them for free anyway. It doesn't make any difference. The facts are the facts. Most folk who can't handle the facts, well, you don't force them to. Don't try to force them to. But some folk need to know the facts for their own peace of mind. It's more important you have your peace of mind than be terrified all along. In fact, the more facts you know, the less afraid you become when you realize the scam. It's like the, the, the boy who, who, who shouts out when they're all praising the king for his fantastic new costumery in a parade. And the boy shouts out, but he's naked. He's, the king has no clothes. That's what COVID is, folks. And when you realize what's going on here, never mind, oh, again, in the lockstep back 2010, it was brought out here uh, by the Rockefellers, the whole agenda for this pandemic and how they would react, etc. Uh, that isn't fiction, folks. This is what's been planned years ago by those who use the think tanks to help plan the future and implement the future for themselves, always on top. See, that is the way of this democracy, as they call it, is the same corporations that plundered and took over long ago, long, long ago, or eliminated the last bit of freedoms that folk had to take over the complete system. Uh, that's the normal now, and they plan their future into the way off into the, dis- the, the distance, you see. Big business plan, long-range business plan. How to? Uh, we plan to make so many... Pro- this is what they do with these big business means. Here's the profits that we're, we expect to gain from this, you see, and got the government investing the taxpayers' money into the into a whole thing. Yada, yada. You can't lose, yada, yada, yada. And then they'll say, and, and they're going to make sure they get a ticket every year. Look at the, the continued returns you're going to get for your investments. This is a business plan, folks. As we get fleeced and fleeced and fleeced, I could say other nasty words, actually, a lot, a lot more, you know, but I won't. But you know what we're getting. You do know what we're getting. 
but this is this is the normal now. This is the normal across all business. In fact, is to get the, the government in bed with themselves, the corporations, which is normally called fascism, and then you mandate the public take this, that, or the other, or get stiffed in a whole bunch of other ways for the for the for the benefit of the corporations. And the corporations are are awfully happy. To, 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 you know, back financially again, the, the politicians who run for office or bring them into the fold of private business when they come out of it. This is a revolving door for them all. You're living in fascism, real fascism. And that's a long-range business plan to keep it going for as long as you can possibly do it. Returns and returns and returns on their investments, big returns, using the public and law to mandate everything on the public. That's fascism, for those who haven't figured it out. Now, as small businesses go belly up, naturally, that's the intention of a lot of this, is uh, to eliminate all small businesses and leave only the massive chains. It's strange, it's it's like an echo of uh, Maggie Thatcher's talks in the 1980s, early 80s, where she talked about uh, the future would be the end of small businesses and the big conglomerates would be the ones that would come through. Uh, and you're hearing the same thing again, and he's in an article here from Forbes, and it says, this artificial intelligence camera can help restaurants show that their food is safe from coronavirus. Listen to this spiel here. Eh? That's going to make it, 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 this food is safe. It doesn't tell you that at all. It's just that all everybody involved in electronics and artificial intelligence is, is, is plundering everything else that's not involved with it. But telling you, you need it. Huh? So they give you the spiel again, walking to Emile's, the Chief Kevin Tien's restaurant in Capital, his hill neighborhood of Washington, D.C. You find yourself alone. One customer is allowed in at a time, an employee there to greet you wearing a mask and gloves. That's really friendly. You talk about the frozen rosé they've made with their ice cream machine. Before he hands over your order, pristine white paper bag, demonstrating that these safeguards help customers trust that their food is safe from coronavirus. And I read this, an article similar, but it's talking about how even in the restaurant business, they're taking it over. And everything goes up in price, right? Everything goes up and up and up with all these, the same guys that worked, that weaseled their way into the hospitals to manage hospitals better and plundered them like the NHS in Britain. Same characters are involved in all businesses now, right? You need us, you know. We're we're experts in, in technology. Eh? So it says um, the co-founder and the, and the, and the, the guys who invented this dragon tail company, Ido Levanon. This is all advancement technology, especially artificial intelligence. All of the latest developments on the technology side, unfortunately, never really reached the restaurant industry. He explains. He and his co-founders launched Dragon Tail Systems in 2013, initially with algorithms that optimized delivery efficiencies, and the other is an AI camera that was initially designed to help restaurants with quality control. But half of us are developers, mathematicians, data scientists, and half are operations people. I think you half of them actually make the food. How about half of them that make the food? Eh? How about 90% the folk that make the food to deal with the food? Everything is superfluous as they graft themselves on to scam the public, eh? So it says here that um, 
The company's artificial technology can be used to verify more than just the correct number of pepperoni slices. It says the camera can also detect those all-important safety measures. Did the employee wash his hands? Did they clean the surfaces? Are they wearing gloves? Are they wearing a mask? Hmm? Etc., etc. It's, it's just more spyware, eh? That'll be the only business left eventually until until their host, the ones that pay for the parasites, dies off. Huh? That's about where it's all coming to. And D-Link announces launch of a screening camera to detect skin surface temperature in public places. Well, that's an old one, that one, is it not? Eh? But surveillance solutions firm D-Link has announced the launch of a group temperature screening camera which can monitor up to 30 people at a time simultaneously. Hmm. They combines thermal imaging technology with artificial intelligence to raise an alarm if a person is experiencing elevated skin surface temperature. It does not measure actual core body temperature, which should be further confirmed using clinical measurement devices. The only one intelligent fever screening kit comes with a dual-lens thermographic camera. They've been using that in airports for years. They were using that back when the SARS thing broke out, the first one. SARS-1. Together with the full HD optical imaging sensor, the camera can create high-quality footage that overlays both thermal and optical images into one. Again, it's all sales pitches, eh? Everything's a sales pitch. And it says it's wireless and blah, blah, video surveillance and so on and so on. As public places begin to reopen, solutions are needed to prevent spread of COVID-19. So DCS 9500T, 9500T has been engineered specifically for monitoring large busy areas and provides fast skin surface temperature detection at 0.3 degrees centigrade accuracy. So they already got all their teams working. Well, how can we get money off this scam part here? And how, okay, they're going to start to open up. How can we get money off them opening up? Well, I can terrify them and say, well, folk could still be infected, so this might detect, you know. It's just non-stop profit, isn't it? And, what, what, and all it's about is, is permanency. That's what they want, is permanency. Right? And then if, if they even could even get rid of this COVID idea, if, if they, you know, wants to give up on that after a few years, uh, and have made their billions of us all and changed society, uh, they'll have another reason for keeping it in place, you see. It's, yeah. There you go. And the way the digital trackers, it says, another security is to flag the potential risk of the coronavirus spread. Oh. How did they get over it with the Spanish flu? It just, it just, it just faded away after the second, you know, winter. It was gone. Without any electricity really getting involved in it, I suppose. But it must be a fluke of nature. Our saviors are all, it's technology, you know. It's not medicines, no, it's, it's, it's technology and gadgetry and surveillance. Now here we have, again, uh, some people who are, who are not really stable or, or they're tyrants, take your pick. Often it's both. But Nashville Councilwoman wants attempted murder charges for people who don't wear face masks uh, and pass on COVID-19. Oh, 
If they pass a virus, then they're tried for murder or attempted murder, eh? Hmm. Sharon Hurt, an at-large member of the Nashville Metro Council, suggested last week that people who don't, I guess she watches TV a lot, so you always tell the ones who watch TV, who, tell, who do not wear face masks but spread care, should be hit with attempted murder or murder charge. Well, how about folk who pass on AIDS? Huh? Would that include them? Hmm? Or other, say, say other diseases, huh? Well, why just COVID? Think about it. Of course, you know this won't pass because obviously if somebody will have to say it that about AIDS. <laughs> somebody will say that and it won't pass. But that's what it would lead to, wouldn't it, if it was passed? Next, what's next? And what's next? And what's next? Right? How about gonorrhea? How about syphilis? Never ending, eh? And it says, so during the August 5 meeting between the United City's public safety, beer and regulated beverages and health, hospitals and social service committees, her asked whether the, the council should enact legislation criminally charging people who don't wear face coverings in a similar fashion, HIV positive people who normally spread HIV, well, they're actually, they actually mentioned that, who normally spread HIV without informing partners. And she says, my question goes back to legislation. I don't know if Mike Jameson could be the one to answer the question, but my concern is, you know, I work for an organization that if they pass a virus, uh, then they are tried for murder or attempted murder if they're not told. And this person who may very well pass this virus that's out in the air because they're not wearing a mask is basically doing the same thing. Even though the mask, man, you don't stop from getting into the air, for goodness sake, woman, you know. Uh, this is all from their own, from the manufacturers themselves. They have to sell it on the package at the back, they sell it, or they get sued. doesn't stop it coming in from the mask or going out of the mask. <laughs> but there you go. They're all talking uh, utter nonsense is what they're talking but don't be surprised if this kind of thing gets made public, you know, and, and they put it into law. And again, I'll put that, that I mentioned before about the Australian police choke, wrestle women to the ground for not wearing a mask. I'll put that one up too. And because you see more and more of this as they try, a lot of these articles are actually are also meant to, meant to terrify. This might happen to you. You might get wrestled to the ground. They might even break your neck, you know, or suffocate you with a stranglehold if you don't comply. It's meant to terrify you as well. But I mentioned before that Britain, all these satellites of Britain that came out of Britain or, or London, uh, really, can, can, really, they're more totalitarian than a lot of so-called third world countries with their police. They really feel they have a real authority to do what they want as opposed to do what the law says. Mask mouth. Mask mouth, a new term, eh? is a seriously stinky side effect of wearing masks. People brushing their teeth uh, way more after smelling their breath with a mask on. And so dentists are noticing it too, by the way, and calling it, actually saying that it's causing um, gums to retreat from the, the, the teeth, you know, and more problems because of dental issues and because of oral hygiene is changing when you wear a mask all the time. We're seeing inflammation in people's gums that have been healthy forever and cavities in people who've never had them before, says Dr. Rob Ramondi, 
dentist and co-founder of One Manhattan Dental. About 50% of our patients are being impacted by this. So we decided to name it Mask Mouth after Meth Mouth. It looks like they're getting the same kind of symptoms of the blackened teeth and so on, brown teeth. And it says the term Meth Mouth is widely used by dentists to describe the dental problem that rises amongst methamphetamine users. Addicts often end up with cracked, black and brown stained teeth because the stimulant causes sugar cravings and teeth grindings and jaw clenching. And they also often neglect their oral hygiene. While mask mouth isn't quite as obvious, if left untreated, the results could be equally harmful. Gum disease or periodontal disease will eventually lead to strokes and an increased risk of heart attacks, says Mark Sclafani, a co-founder of One Manhattan Dental. It says that the stinky syndrome is triggered by face coverings since wearing a mask increases dryness of the mouth and a build-up of bad bacteria. And people tend then, when you wear a mask, to breathe through your mouth instead of through the nose while wearing the mask, says Scalafani. The mouth breathing is, caused, uh, is causing the dry mouth, which leads to a decrease in saliva. And saliva fights bacteria and cleanses your teeth. And of course, with a wearing mask too, he says they drink less water. <laughs> so, it's all chain reaction, isn't it? But uh, again, the elite don't care. Uh, dentists shouldn't really care. They make money, right? I mean, it's, isn't that good for their business? And I mentioned this one too. It's uh, peak idiocy. Wisconsin government agency mandates face mask use for virtual Zoom meetings. But it's all on the internet, right? So despite the deluge of data that continues to come in indicating the coronavirus may not be the death sentence that the mainstream media has made it out to be, the sharp overreach from those who can't help but be scared half to death from the virus continues unabated. And the latest example comes is from the Wisconsin Department of Natural Resources, who told its employees effective August 1st they would have to wear a mask even for teleconferences. <laughs> <laughs> Preston Cole of the DNR said an email to sent an email to employees also wear your mask even if you're at home to participate in a virtual meeting that, that uh, involves being seen, such as on Zoom or another video conferencing platform by non profit DNR staff. Set the safety example which shows you are a DNR public service employee and, and they, they care about the safety and health of others. Ah oh, dear, dear, dear. It reminds me actually of one internet provider that I've complained to umpteen times in this last few months as they cut me back and cut me back because I keep talking about COVID. Until literally, as I say, I can't even download 24 megabytes uh, come up at 9pm, you know. It's the worst time. But at midnight, if you want to stay up all night long, you can start to use a bit of it to train you. To, again, how they train you to, for their product, eh? As they take more and more customers on, they train that you to, to stay up all night long. This is, this, is, this is all worked out by teams of these professionals, eh? These manager classes and uh, so on. But anyway, it reminds me when the, the excuse for it is for, for the slow speed is it COVID. I'm not kidding, COVID-19. Was it, was it, that's why the speed was so slow. In other words, they've taken more and more clients on. That's why it's because they've got a fixed bandwidth. Best to take more and more folk on. That's what it is. Yeah. But they're blaming COVID for it. It's the excuse for everything today, isn't it? When it comes to money. 
And uh, but that's what this article here reminds me of too. It's very very similar in some ways. So yeah, so who's government agency mandating face mask use for virtual Zoom teleconferencing meetings? It says even the CDC doesn't recommend wearing a face mask while social distancing at home under most conditions. Sheridan concluded justifying the idiotic policy. We ask our staff to wear the mask when on externally facing calls. Uh, it is that taking out of context a screenshot at a, at a staff a person of a staff or high-ranking department official is not properly, if not properly attributed, could be misinterpreted to suggest the state employees are not properly following the governor's directive. This is political correctness to the absurd extremes. This is what you're getting now. We're in idiocracy. You understand that? We really are there, you know, in many ways, actually. And um, so there you go. There's wear a mask at all times, eh? Technocracy is already driving tens of millions into extreme poverty. And the global rise of extreme poverty was entirely predictable as technocrats shut down the entire global economy in response. No, I say it's a scam using COVID. That's how I'd word it. But the intention is to shut down the entire world economy, right? In the end, it will be hundreds of millions forced to live in abject squalor. In America, the homeless population is exploding as people are displaced from their homes and apartments. This, this too, was fully predictable. Everything is predictable, folks. This underscores uh, the sheer lack of concern for any other lives except those saved from COVID-19. As a domestic worker, Amzail Hilly Mariam knew from the inside out the luxury villas that had grown up around her simple simple shelter of raw metal and plastic sheeting. And in them and in them she saw how her country, Ethiopia, had transformed. The single mother told herself, Oh God, a day will come when my life will be changed too. The key lay in her daughter just months from a career in public health, who studied how to battle the illnesses of want and hunger. Then a virus mentioned in none of her textbooks arrived, and dreams faded for families in entire countries like theirs. Decades of progress and one of modern history's greatest achievements, the fight against extreme poverty, are in danger of slipping away because of the COVID-19 pandemic. The world could see its first increase in extreme poverty in 22 years, further sharpening social inequities. I think it's a lot worse it'll be than 22 years. We're living in a state where we're above the dead and below the living, Amsail said near tears. This is not life. With the virus and its restrictions, up to 100 million more people globally could fall into the bitter existence of living on just $1.90 a day, according to the World Bank. The World Bank, of course, is all part of this because uh, uh, they were set up by the same organization that gave you the IMF and the Bank for International Settlements. It's the same group that ran the whole British Empire. So India is struggling as well, and Nigeria. Um, and in fact, I think uh, Nigeria, it says that Africa's most populous nation has surpassed India with the most people in extreme poverty. Roughly half its citizens. 
I tell you, it's pretty bad getting. But that's what it's intended to do. Not which, what, ha- what do you expect is when they when they mandatory outlaw working <laughs> during this whole thing for most folk? Everything's shut down. Well, of course they're getting what they wanted. They didn't shut things down with a pandemic and, 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 and what they called the Spanish flu, you know. Actually, it's called it the flu at the time. But uh, it, it wasn't shut down. You don't, you don't close the economy down, which is guaranteed to cause incredible privation and poverty and hunger and illnesses and disease. Mm-hmm. That's why they did it, to make it all happen. Food bank doles out tons of food as Texans, like many Americans, fight to feed themselves. And so it's happening in all other areas too, as you all know. As the food bank's latest handout at Fair Park comes after many Americans lost their $600 a week unemployment benefit in July. And the food bank officials targeted August and Hawthorne said because they knew there'd be a dip in families' incomes and food stamp benefits tend to run out early in the month. Since March, more than 3 million Texans have filed unemployment claims. That's all over the place, the same idea, isn't it? But, yeah. well, they're not happy yet. They want it to be a lot worse than this, folks. They're going to teach you a lesson you're never going to forget. It'll affect you for your whole life long, however long that might be. Another article here, pandemic. What pandemic? 2020 death rate is lower than previous five-year average in Ireland. And it says, in a recent Freedom of Information request sent to Mary Cuniff at the Department of Employment Affairs and Social Protection Ireland, some startling figures were disclosed to Mr. McFadden, the gentleman who made the request. He inquired into the deaths registered from all causes since 2015. He was supplied with figures covering a five-year period from January 2015 up to and including June 26, 2020. However, figures were only supplied up to the end of May 2020. As can be seen from the figures below, there's a huge discrepancy in what Irish people have been told in relation to COVID-19 pandemic and the reality of the actual number of deaths recorded from all causes. It's clear from these figures that there is an admission that there is no pandemic under even the latest reclassification of what constitutes a pandemic. In fact, there's not even an epidemic. As mentioned above, the figures supplied only covered January to May of each year, respectively, from 2015 to 2020, despite figures being available to June 26. We speculate that, that if those figures were supplied, they would reveal an even more startling lie. And so they give you it there. Uh, <laughs> and start off in 2015, with the total deaths at that time, January to May, were 13,752. It went up to 13,811 in 2016. 2017, 13,484. So it was down again. 2018, 14,380, down again. 2019, 13,234, down again. And 2020, it was 12,553. It's actually been dropping. It's actually less now than it was 
all, all his previous years. This is the official count. So up to May 31st, 2020, the total deaths in Ireland were the lowest on record since 2015. So uh, there you go. Huh? Says this is the biggest lie ever told to the people of Ireland and the wider world. As of August 12th, the official government figures put COVID-19 deaths at, th- at 1,774. Like, the previous ones were the total deaths, you know, total deaths. So, so trying to say that uh, the total COVID deaths are 1,774. This equates to just under eight deaths per day attributed to COVID-19. However, we are aware that the deaths attributed to COVID-19 have been hugely inflated with no differentiation made between people who have died with infection or of the infection. Big difference. Eh? The vast majority of deaths being in the elderly population, million nursing homes again, and with two or more uh, comorbidities. This is normal in any year from respiratory diseases such as flu. By the way, you can't get um, the, the, the numbers for, for flu anymore because they're lumping them in as COVID. So there you go. Um, it's pretty bad, isn't it? The whole world's been lied to, it says here. But it's a massive agenda. And believe you me, all these, you wouldn't believe the organizations that all of these politicians are tied into globally. They're all on board together with this kind of thing, as it, as it always have been. Kissinger, Henry Kissinger, the man who, you know, talked about the overpopulation problem that would happen in the third world. He said, in fact, he said that the greatest threat to the state, the enemy of the state, would be overpopulation. Way back in the 1970s, I think he said that. And uh, he's still going, eh? With his big plans for the world, and you know, he he mumbles a lot. You know, he doesn't say much, but you you, you almost get something to decipher it for for you what he says. That's how he speaks. Yeah. And it says, a failure to to establish a post-COVID new world order could set the world on fire. Okay, and it says. Uh, a Nobel-winning American foreign policy expert has warned that the United States will have to join a global program to overcome the damage wrought by the coronavirus pandemic. So what is it they said about, about you know, to bring in a, a world governmental system? That's not what they said. Eh? It would be awfully handy if we could use something like this to make it happen. Anyway, Henry Kissinger, 96, there you go, 96, was the National Security Advisor and Secretary of State for President Richard Nixon, and Gerald Ford. For the rest of his long career, he served as an advisor to political and business leaders. The Wall Street Journal published the iconic political thinker's response to the international health emergency on Friday, April 6. And he said that the world would never be the same after coronavirus, and that the U.S. government will have to sustain the public trust. No kidding. In a divided country, efficient and far-sighted government is necessary to overcome obstacles unprecedented in magnitude and a global scope, he wrote. Sustaining the public trust is crucial to, to social solidarity, to the relation of societies with each other, and to international peace and stability. Well, maybe they stop lying to us and they might get some trust in And it says the former official stated that the, the current U.S. administration has done a solid job 
in avoiding immediate uh, catastrophe, but that its ultimate test is stopping the virus and maintaining public confidence in Americans' ability to govern themselves. At the same time, Kissinger called for the government to launch a parallel enterprise. It's awfully important, a parallel enterprise for the transition to the post-coronavirus order. A parallel enterprise. An enterprise that will coexist with the, 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 the usual one. So it's an extra one, right? Coping effectively with the political and societal damage will take international collaboration, which means you're only be forking your money out what's left of it to third world countries. Because that's the whole idea, is to bribe you. The U.S. has been running the world order as the U.S. sinks into the world order that it creates by funding it into existence and bribing everybody across the planet to, get, to take their people into it. That's how it's done, it's all through bribes eh? and blackmail. Leaders are dealing with the crisis on a largely national basis, but the virus is society-dissolving effects. Like, it's not the virus is, is causing the, the, the dissolving effects of society. It's the whole scam itself is causing dissolving effects of society, locking everybody down. Well, the assault on human health will hopefully be temporary. The political and economic upheaval it has unleashed could last for generations. That's what they hope for, is it? So no country, not even the U.S., can, in a purely national effort, overcome the virus. So he wants a global collaborative vision and a program. If we cannot do both in tandem, we will face the worst of each. You can actually see the whole agenda here from this creep, eh? This dark character. He's very dark. As a child, and you used to have the black and white TV sets, and... When he, this guy would come on, and, and there was always a build-up, like, you know, Kissinger's coming on to speak on behalf of the president. And that's all you saw. Because he, he was the mouthpiece for, for, for the folk that they elected. You know? And in black and white, he, he, there was like a dark aura around the character. Very dark indeed. Ominous. That's how you saw it as a child. Anyway. And then the mumbling they would do, you know. What do you think, Mr. Kissinger, of uh, of the situation in the Far East at the moment? You know, and then he's and it's like it's like God had spoken or something. The way the folk jumped around this character. That's the way they built him up again, like a superstar. You know? But he was a, a part of the the big CIA agenda. They know where they're, they're always planning to take the world. And they use people to fight the wars for them, you know. Never realizing the whole intention is eventually to do away with you as nations. But they'll use you all in the meantime. And the last folk you'd figure out would be like, or doing it all are the ones that you're supposedly, are, are the bosses of you. They're fi- Kissinger, remember, is the guy who used the troops all everywhere. And Kissinger also said the great famous statement when he was asked a question about the, the military, the troops, and so on. He says, soldiers, he says, they're dumb, stupid animals who are used for foreign policy. He told you the truth, that's how he sees you. Soldiers are dumb, stupid animals who are used for foreign policy. Because, you see, they're not given the truth as to why they're, they're given simpler propaganda. 
using their basic instincts to save the nation and go off and fight enemies, that's what they're told. But he tells you the truth. That's what he really thinks about you. But he's not alone. They're all the same. Oh, yep. And he goes, he goes into his usual diatribe. He loves to tell you about the, the walled city idea. He says, the founding legend of modern government is a walled city protected by powerful rulers, sometimes despotic, other times benevolent, yet always strong enough to protect the people from an external enemy, he wrote in his own articles and books. Enlightenment thinkers reframed the concept, arguing that the purpose of legitimate state is to provide for the fundamental needs of the people's security order, economic well-being and justice, he continued. The pandemic has prompted an anachronism, a revival of the walled city in an age when prosperity depends on global trade and movement of people. So he's on and on about how we have to change our values, etc. And, and or actually sustain enlightenment values. Well, you can't have much enlightenment if you can't afford the electricity and so the lights go off eh? You're in the dark once more, the dark ages. In a sense, what I want to bring in is, a, is at least at least, at least least a temporary, it could be a few years, but uh, dark ages, that's what they want to bring in. It's something you'll never forget. Yeah. There you go. That's from the, the king himself, eh? It's a good article too. Lab-made SARS-CoV-2 genealogy through the lens of -of gain-of-function research by Yuri Dagan, it says here. The article says, How I learned to start worrying, you know. But he goes through this long uh, investigation of the CoV-2 and other known strains and so on, similar strains, etc. And tries to do it logically, Again, using the gain of function and so on, and how it obviously didn't just evolve itself. We've got all the evidence too, from the moving of of the coronavirus of our coronavirus to uh, Wuhan. We know that happened because we've got the evidence there of the U.S. finance yet to be put there, and, and including Fauci, okaying it and so on. And then it was modified there again, and we've got the woman's name too, who worked on it, who who had done similar stuff before. And altering, um, putting, uh, altering different uh, enzymes in it, and uh, for gain of function, basically, quite something. Eh? And I've got the furin sites. They call it furin sites or furin sites, where they you can see it's been altered the actual virus with these four additions. Eh? But it's a good investigation into it. I'll put this one up for those who, who like deeper <laughs> information concerning the disease itself or the virus itself. Another article I'll add today too is um, about propagandists that work for other nations. Often you don't know that they work for other nations. Actually, I'd say there's an awful lot more for other nations at the moment. But um, this one goes into to the, some of the history of electronic propaganda, like radio, you know. And it, it, it even goes back to Tokyo Rose, as, as she was called, in World War Two, and gives some of the history there. But then it goes into other characters who, who were, were, ended up working for an enemy, for at least for some period of time. And they go into the, the reports about John McCain, the late John McCain 
who was caught as a prisoner of war and held in Vietnam. But he, he did turn out a lot of, <laughs> a lot of um, propaganda pieces out, put it that way, on film, the broadcast to America and the world at the time too. I can remember Bill Cooper went through a lot of it two years ago on, on McCain, and he says you could never, ever trust a man. Never. And uh, this article is in, in a similar vein to it as well. It goes into the histories of um, McCain and how they made him a hero when he got back, you know. And he was on crutches at the time, and but the, literally he'd, he had a bad name amongst the POWs who knew what he'd been up to, a lot of them. Uh, but as a, Bill Cooper did go through a, 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 good, um, a good talk about him. This article is awfully good to you. Because we can see in America, there's no real conviction in politics now. People go into it, they're generally psychopaths anyway. Yeah, it's taken for granted now. That's modern politics. You've always had a lot of psychopaths in it, but we're more than ever now today. And they tend to gravitate towards the opposing party that they think is going to win because they, they sniff the public opinion or media opinion or the, the elite's opinion. And they all, they all work for the elite all the time. And this one's about Kamala Harris. And uh, it's interesting. I don't care about politics, left or right. They're all psychopathic. They're not statesmen anymore. You just don't find statesmen. But Kamala Harris, uh, she's never found a ladder, never seen a ladder that she didn't like, you know. And, and of course, she'll join any side that seems to be in the winning streak. That's how you, that's how you can smell it in her. But but these 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 pat you know slogans she comes out with the communist slogans are just something else. But this one says Kamala Harris's ancestors owned slaves too. For those who didn't know, <laughs> you often find this is the case with the characters that end up leading you. And and the left wing, for instance, it's, it's very much like too. It was what's his name. Um, Dawkins, who's the, again, the humanist, uh, who's always put out as about against God and belief in God and so on. And, and uh, again, like a technocrat type character. And, and then you see his family, his family crest. And, and it's a slave, a black slave, with a rope around him, because his family was in the slaving business, for those who don't know that. <laughs> but here's, here's Kamala Harris's ancestors owned slaves too. And it says, um, according to her father, Stanford University economics professor, Donald Harris. He's a professor there, right? And the information was reported Wednesday by the Washington Free Beacon, citing a genealogical report written by Harris's father, Stanford University economics professor, Donald and it says, Donald Harris, a Stanford University, revealed in 2018 his grandmother was a descendant of Hamilton Brown, the namesake of Brown's town in northern Jamaica. Maurice go, go back within my lifetime to my paternal grandmother, Miss Krishi Ni Christiana Brown, descendant of Hamilton Brown, who is on record as plantation and slave owner and founder of Brown's town, he wrote in a post for Jamaica Global. And her search archive of Jamaican records indicate that at one point in 1817, Hamilton Brown owned scores of slaves. The majority were brought in from Africa, though he also owned many Creole slaves. Harris is among the leading contenders for Democratic Party presidential nomination. If elected next year, she would become the first black female president 
and the first Asian-American president, she's claimed based on her mother's Indian origins. It's interesting, too, because I've met quite a few from Jamaica who were in the, the kind of ruling elite of Jamaica, and a lot of them were from Indian ancestry, because at one time, um, when Britain ruled these countries, uh, a, lot of, a lot of people came in from, from India, and they became overseers for the British government, uh, on behalf of the British government. You find them in parts of Africa too. Some of them I have met in Canada, who, who are still there, who, who and visit in Canada at the time. And one of the, the main guys, and he he was from Indian ancestry, very proud of it. But God, was he racist on 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 the Jamaicans? It was incredible. So it's interesting to see this the tremendous racism from from overseers again, eh? Uh, but anyway, there you go. Uh, so, uh, <laughs> so there you go to NBC News reported Monday that Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell, who's a Republican from Kentucky, I think, was descended from slave owners as well. And uh, but there you go. They've all they're, they've all been at it some time or another. But uh, and a lot of it, the black ones too were, were slave owners though, and. And even in ancient Rome, there's some there of, uh, they have the big um, cenotaphs there and, and uh, huge, you know, cemeteries, in fact. And one of them there was to a very, one of the most successful slave owners who was a black guy uh, in ancient Rome. So uh, there's nothing new. It's, there's, there's no particular group got... Uh, preponderance, authority as slave owners. It's been across the board, across the world. In fact, the word slave comes from Slav. And the Slavs were often the, the more, some of the more um, chosen folk to get picked on to be slaves at one point by uh, another certain group, awfully important. And uh, I mentioned before the 2006 origins of the lockdown idea, right? I'll put up once again for folk. And it says that uh, now begins the grand effort in displaying thousands of articles and news broadcasts daily somehow to normalize the lockdown and all its destruction of the last two months. We didn't lock down almost the entire country in 1960 or 9 or 57 or 49 to 52 or even during 1918, but a terrifying few days in March 2020 that happened to all of us causing an avalanche of social, cultural and economic destruction that will ring through the ages. There was nothing normal about it all. We'll be trying to figure out what happened for decades hence. And then how did a temporary plan to preserve hospital capacity turn into two or three months, that was then, of near universal house arrest that ended up causing worker furloughs at 256 hospitals and so on and so on. And they talk about it. Let's start with the phase of social distancing, which has mutated into forced human separation. The first I heard of it was in the 2011 movie called Contagion, which is a kind of familiarization predictive programming thing for the public. The first time it appeared in the New York Times was February 12, 2006, this term, right? If the avian flu goes pandemic, well, Tamiflu and vaccines are still in short supply, experts say. Tamiflu by afterwards, they made fortunes off it. I mean, in in, in Toronto, um, with the SARS epidemic, 
they kept showing you the Tamil, oh my Tamil flu, if it just had lots of Tamil flu, would be okay and stuff. And they, they told us after, you know, months and months, or actually maybe a few years, I said it, it was completely ineffectual anyway. <laughs> but I wouldn't tell you that at the time when they're making money of it. But anyway, it says here, um, social distancing, which is a new politically correct way of saying quarantine. But distancing also encompasses less dramatic measures like wearing a face mask, staying out of elevators and the elbow bump. Such uh, stratagems, the experts say, will uh, rewrite the ways we interact, at least during the weeks when the waves of influenza are washing over us. And then they go through uh, different things with um, George Bush and so on, what happened with him. But here's how it happened with the six-foot idea, six-foot spacing, the two-meter idea. It says... Fourteen years ago, two federal government doctors, Richard Hatchett and Carter Mitcher, maybe Meeker, but Mitcher, I'll say Mitcher, met with a colleague at a burger joint in suburban Washington for a final review of a proposal they knew would be treated like a, like a pinata. Telling Americans to stay home from work and school the next time the country was hit by a deadly pandemic. When they presented their plan not long after, it was met with scepticism and a degree of ridicule by senior officials who, like others in the U.S., had grown accustomed to relying on the pharmaceutical industry with its ever-growing array of new treatments to confront evolving health challenges. Dr. Hatchett and Mitcher were proposing instead that Americans in some places might have to turn back to an approach self-isolation first widely employed in the Middle Ages. How that idea, born out of a request by President George W. Bush to ensure the nation was better prepared for the next contagious disease outbreak, became the heart of the national playbook for responding to a pandemic as one of the untold stories of the coronavirus crisis. It required the key proponents, Dr. Mitchell, Department of Veterans Affairs physician, and Dr. Hatchett, an oncologist turned White House advisor, to overcome intense initial opposition. It brought their work together with that of a Defence Department team assigned to a similar task. So it's the Defence Department's behind all this. And it had some unexpected detours, including a deep dive into the history of the 1918 Spanish flu and an important discovery kicked off by a high school research project pursued by the daughter of a scientist at the Sandaya National Laboratories, which is part of the military-industrial complex. So this is the daughter. The concept of social distancing is now intimately familiar to almost everyone, but as it first made its way through the federal bureaucracy in 2006 and 2007, it was viewed as impractical, unnecessary, and politically infeasible. Notice that in the course of this planning, neither legal nor economic experts were brought in to consult and advise, and still it felt it felt to Mitchell, formerly of Chicago, an intensive care doctor with no previous experience in pandemics, and an oncologist hatchet. But what is this mention of the high school daughter of 14 years? Her name is Laura M. Glass. Laura M. Glass, G-L-A-S-S. And she recently declined to be interviewed when the Albuquerque Journal did a deep dive of this history. Laura, with some guidance from her dad, devised a computer, some guidance, yeah, yeah sure, she got some guidance, got a little more than some, devised a computer simulation that showed how people, family members, co-workers, students in school, people in social situations interact. 
What she discovered was that school kids come in contact with about 140 people a day, more than any other group. Based on that finding, her program showed that in a hypothetical town of 10,000 people, 5,000 would be infected during a pandemic if no measures were taken, but only 500 would be infected if the schools were closed. Laura's name appears in the foundational paper arguing for lockdown and forced human separation. There you go, military industrial complex by her dad, right, who helped her. <laughs> you know, he did it. <laughs> Guarantee her, guaranteeing a career for her to the right schools. Eh? And it says the paper is, is called Targeted Social Distancing Designs for Pandemic Influenza. 2006, set out a model for forced separation and applied it with good results backwards in time to 1957. They concluded with a chilling call for what amounts to a totalitarian lockdown, all stated very matter-of-factly. So they go through all this stuff here. So, yeah, a computer program designed by a guy who worked for the military-industrial complex did it for his daughter to make sure she's got a great future ahead, right? And so uh, so he, his name was Robert Jai Glass, the father, a complex systems analyst with Sandia National Laboratories. He had no medical training, much less an expertise in immunology or epidemiology. And that's why the Dr. D.A. Henderson, who had been the leader of the international effort to eradicate smallpox, completely rejected the whole scheme. And he said that Dr. Henderson was convinced that it made no sense to force, force schools to close or public gangs to stop. Tangers would escape their homes to hang out at the mall. School lunch programs would close and impoverished children would not have enough to eat. Hospital staff would have a hard time going to work if their children were at home. So it was rejected by the guy, but that's the military. The guy worked for the military. So the military then approached them and they designed, they said they'd, they'd copied into the, their control for possible pandemics of the future, you see. Mm-hmm. There you go. All theoretical, huh? by computers and so on. And, uh, and the military got involved in it. For, and again, the CIA was involved too, of course, who were. But this six feet apart has got no, no practical and factual reasons for distancing like that at all. Complete design by computer and is pushed out there. There you go. And as I say too, remember, I'll put up the, the article or the link to the John Pilger's very good um, report on National Health Service destruction. But, of course, he doesn't go into the fact, too, that Britain, being a complete socialist uh, country, even though it, it, the corporations benefit from socialism so well, because it's all taxpayer-run, right? Then they get the money from taxpayer things, projects. And um, he doesn't go into the fact that for about 30-odd years, at least, maybe longer than that, Britain was was literally the an open door for people from all over the planet to come for operations, medical treatment for free. So much so that countless articles have been written over many years that the folk at home could even get treatment themselves once we were paying for all. It doesn't touch that at all, unfortunately. And um, you you can't have a national health service and bring the world in there too. And and even with the European Union, they didn't have such good medical systems themselves. And they were sending all the people across there to get treatment to the National Health Service. 
So, you know, and again, too, it was also taken for granted that they'd start training people or taking people from other countries, third world countries, and give them jobs in the National Health Service rather than train people inside Britain themselves, even as nursing staff and so on. That's part of the problem, too. But he doesn't touch these other things. But he's definitely dead on with the private, the public-private partnerships as they privatised the systems of the health service. And even gave a lot of nursing staff at some hospitals through these trial ones like East Anglia and so on. It gave them, uh, I think I think it's East Anglia. Don't take it to the bank, mind you. But um, they, they actually got the nursing staff and gave them shares in the private company to make them work harder to get patients out of the hospital as fast as possible because it was because they, they get more money. The more turnover they had, the more money they would get for the private business. And then, of course, this is a typical strategy they have in business. And then they would put up a competition system and, and, and publish which nursing sister would have kicked out more patients that week than other ones. Then be competing for the money, you see. You can't do that with health industries. You can't have that with health. Health is not business. shouldn't be business, really. It's above all that. But the problem is everything is so corrupt. If you, and if you even started off with a perfect system to begin with, the sharks move in and destroy it very quickly. That's across the board in every area of society today. It's terrible. Now I think I'm probably over my time anyway, but... Remember, as I say, uh, send a few bucks my way, cuttingthroughthematrix.com, if you can. It'll help me take along here. And uh, I'll continue as long as I can to get my information out, even if they cut off my internet altogether, because uh, this is all part of the strategies, as folk who are speaking out, is to, to go for their servers now. Uh, then uh, I've got other means to, to it'll cost me more money again to get my other folk to put my information out for me, which I, I could still do, mind you. So if you can help me uh, save me money to, to keep ticking here, I'll do it as best as I can and uh, and put out the information. Remember, this is histories, and this kind of stuff, this, kind, this kind of information can be held for years and years by people as long as it's put out because someone has to record what's happening. Someone, and lots of people, should be doing that and um, for future use, for, for whatever hell or heaven comes down the pike. It's got to be recorded. All the details of it, all the fakery, all, all the lying, the deceit of all government agencies, and the collusion of, 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 of all media, of all the big media, who, who were given instructions to cause increased anxiety in their reporting, cause it to make them comply by causing anxiety, frighten the people into compliance. How disgusting is that, eh? Anyway, I hope you hang in there, folks, and don't lose your heads. Keep calm about things. Don't panic either. And don't turn on each other if you're living together as couples or or families. Don't turn on each other because uh, these are stressful times. It's meant to cause stress. It's meant to get by turning on each other. And, uh, and keep cool and calm because it's not over yet, remember. And... Uh, the last time they did it with the mass vaccination programs, the people did uh, have enough and say no. And they dumped millions of these. these some of the vaccines, millions of them were dumped in a, a river in the States, by the way. And that's another story. So keep sane and, and 
make sure you have a, a, a coterie of friends and, and swear to help each other out. Help each other out. Come with me. Don't fall out with each other because you will need each other as time goes on. They want a really long lockdown here and, uh, and a different system to come out of this eventually. And it will not be. And I, Fauci said it, the little man himself, you know, little foxy Fauci said it himself at the beginning, things would never be the same again. He just knew all. It's just a coincidence, of course. And they mean it. They mean it. It's not meant to be the same again. It's to be a new world order, according to Kissinger and all the rest of these characters. So stay safe. Help each other out. And don't panic. Don't panic. Keep, keep calm. And remember, we've still all got each other yet. Remember, we've still got that ability to at least communicate. So for myself, Alan Walkerman, Ontario, Canada, it's good night. I mean, your God or your God school with you.